And it's Red Leaf Retrocast. Here we go. I got a cat on top of my lap here. He just insisted in being there. I got nice warm coffee with some Baileys in it. I'm here to talk some wrestling. For the last main RLR of 2023. And we're gearing up for a lot of end of year Joshi shows. We got the C2 in AEW coming to a close here pretty soon, culminating with uh, what 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 was that pay per view? Um, it's like end end of world world's end world's end. That's what it is. Uh, AEW's kicking up. Uh, you'll hear my thoughts later in the show, but I was out on this promotion like a hundred percent, and it is the C two that has kept me in it. Do I watch much else on the show? Am I still watching Collision on a heavy delay? Yes, I am. Upon your listening to this uh, episode, the weekend of the 15th will have passed, and this episode is on delay because, hey, I'm on a little mini vacation here. I'm enjoying my pina coladas and uh, not snowboarding. Uh, the, the rain forecast is not looking good, but I will be able to get a couple good golf sessions in <laughs> in mid-December in Rhode Island here. <laughs> and... Um, you can definitely tell my my progress uh, over this, what, last eight months, where, you know, practice makes perfect, keep trying to fix l- little things at a time, and th- good things will come. I am well out of my slump in bowling, because uh, this past week, look, I went 299 on Wednesday night. And threw an 805 series. So the the ever infamous, would you rather throw an 800 with no 300s or a perfect game without an 8? And uh, the general consensus on posts like that or the talking points is, oh, I'd rather have the 800. Well, I'm at the point where I it's my sixth 800 of the year and I still only have the one 300 game. Now, I did do that in front of my father who vis- visits maybe once a year, maybe, or every other year. But So that was very emotional. But... Uh, yeah, I followed it up with 681 on Thursday night, and then a 724 on, uh, well, the Friday night. So, I'm back, baby. I got, uh, let's see, I got a, respectively in the three leagues, is a 232 average, a 223 average, and I was very ill for the Thursdays, missed a lot. Uh, that's a 216 average, so put them all together, and that's what you got, but uh, to be fair, the Thursday league, I think, is is definitely harder for the lane conditions. Much drier. Okay, cat, you've had enough? <laughs> What's up? What's up? Why don't, you, why don't you lay right here, buddy? Why don't you lay down? Okay. I don't know how long he's... Nah, he's, uh, he's up. He's up. <laughs> that lasted all of a millisecond. Uh, yeah, it's um very windy outside. Hopefully I don't lose power throughout all this, but uh, I'm recording. And what is going on the Patreon for Red Leaf Retrocast? Well, as you're listening to this, the Pure J episode, the final one of 2023, is out. JPQ and I uh, more or less preview the Cork and Hall that Pure J is running. And as you're listening to this, the the Cork and Hall is probably already uh, come and gone. And you'll be able to hear... Uh, the full episode and year recap uh, in January of 2024. So head on over to the Patreon, get on that $5 tier, the Jaguar Nagayo tier, 
and you'll get each and every month a Pure J, an episode dedicated to only Pure J. Uh, the former, or now, the the, uh, the sequel to the JWP promotion. You'll also get monthly LLPW episodes. So there's two episodes right there, guaranteed every month, along with the Joshi 2010's journey. Two episodes every month, as well, generally around the 1st and 15th of the month. Uh, plus or minus some odd days, depending on my schedule to get these out. Uh, so those are four guaranteed episodes each and every month, along with some other uh, personal projects like putting out. Uh, one I'm very proud of that I do recommend is the it's the history of uh, women's wrestling in Mexico. Uh, and I really tied that specifically to CMLL and the ban of women's wrestling in Mexico City. I'm very proud of that episode. It was definitely a learning experience. And I hope you guys uh, look forward to more. It was tied into the Joshi 2010's journey and just how much, because we're doing a lot of CMLL on this podcast now, uh, it was it was more enlightening to see what how far women's wrestling has come just in the last 10 years, let alone 20, 30, 40 years uh, in the country. And it's starting to pick up because right now, we are going into CMLL because we got uh, we got a good build here, and dare I say, make the argument for a uh, women's rivalry of the year? I guess we'll find out after this drop. Here we go. <laughs> Okay, everybody. So that is Stephanie Vacker's music and the big uh, kind of year-end uh, finish to Stephanie Vacker's CMLL world title reign for 2023 has culminated in this build of returning to wrestling. Uh, very controversial woman, uh, Tess, Tessa Blanchard. I guess it's not controversial, so everyone agrees that uh, her uh, persona and personality is uh, being shitty. <laughs> Um, regardless, I am very much into the women's division here in Mexico, and Tessa Blanchard is a huge part of it. Uh, Mexico doesn't care. They doesn't care about her past, and uh, with a woman of her caliber and talent, uh, I'm glad to see her wrestle, but boy, oh boy, watching these matches with Tessa Blanchard, uh, it's a fervor reminder of how much she has to now adjust to being back in the fold. The skill's still there, but every one of these matches, especially the uh, title match against Stephanie Vacker, the NXT shock face, the over-animated facial expressions, uh, way too much. Um, might, as, might as well just be on a cartoon, like a Wheaties box, of just like, oh my god, Wheaties with sugar! That kind of stuff. So with Tessa Blanchard and Stephanie Vacker, if we look at this strictly in a wrestler kayfabe sense and not something like Draymond Green on a court taking people out. Uh, this build for Blanchard becoming a legit contender and then getting into the uh, Vacker heat. I, I, you know, between this and Suzu Suzuki and Micah, which I'll get to later in stardom, 
it's going it, this is going to be in my contention for women's rivalry of the year. And the chain of events went as follows with uh, Tessa Blanchard winning the Amazonas, which I very much enjoyed that match. And that sets her up for a number one contender shot, right? So we cut to November 24th, and in uh, in Mexico here, in Reno, Mexico, it was uh, Juvia, Isis, and Blanchard defeating uh, Dark Silhouetta, Jaotita, and Stephanie Vacker. A 12-minute match. They called it uh, Relevos Incredibles. Forgive my Spanish. I'm tr- really trying there. But it was all about creating heat between Blanchard and Vacker. Uh, you had Juvia and Assis doing um, absolute straight-up Rudo work heel, while everyone else on the other side were the Technicos, uh, the faces. And as it went down and as it finished, where Blanchard pins Vacker with the uh, uh, double-arm hook, like, spinning DDT deal, the hammerlock, she spins him around, gets him in a hammerlock, and, and lays him down. Blanchard got the final pin, and she proceeds then to cut a promo in Spanish. Crowd absolutely hated her, as they should. And for her to cut up, like, I always have an immense respect for people who cut promos in not their native language, uh, regardless of their person. And does Blanchard, does she not have a choice in this matter if she wants to stay in the business? Uh, I would believe so. <laughs> and look, she was she was married to a guy uh, from Mexico, so I imagine they spoke Spanish together. So, lots of good heat, lots of build-up, and the build didn't end there, because then Blanchard, uh, on November 26th and November 27th, on back-to-back nights, in a lightning match, so matches under 10 minutes, uh, straight-up defeats Zuxis, Vacker's more or less partner, uh, holds tag titles with her, and defeated Catalina in a lightning match as well, another title holder, for CMLL. So they built up Blanchard as strong as possible. There was no doubt in my mind she was a threat, and I honestly thought she was going to win this match. She was going to win against Vacker and take this title, and the ultimate goal ended up being Vacker is the number one. She defended Mexico from the foreign invader, the, the pompous American that was kicking everyone's ass, and what does this mean for Blanchard going forward? I don't know. I mean, she had a uh, another a follow-up match in Tijuana, just to kind of give that crowd the same uh, level of match, but not as... I, I wouldn't say it was as heat-filled. I haven't seen it uh, personally. Maybe it'll never make tape. But for this, the match was only 13 minutes. I, w- I did wish it went a few minutes longer, because it did end abruptly. And boy, oh boy, is that a theme of women's wrestling over the last three weeks. Yeah, Vacker hits everything in the kitchen sink, uh, just trying to keep Blanchard down, and Blanchard fights back, hits the big uh, top rope code breaker, which is one or a lot, and that's when Vacker kind of rolls outside the ring, and Blanchard does the, oh, shock face, right? And what, what, what happens is, once they kind of hit the tail end of the match here, like the last minute, Vacker takes over, hits the double knees, spins her in her own hammerlock DDT using Blanchard's own finisher and pins this woman one, two, three, just right to the mat. Uh, I liked how definitive it was. And I liked the post match where Vacker offers the handshake. 
Blanchard pie faces her. They get into a little brawl, and Vacker fucking obliterates this woman with a forearm down. And the hometown crowd loved every second of it. I thought they were building up a little bit more heat with Blanchard, but hey, don't fuck with me, says Vacker, and puts her down. Is this the end of Tessa Blanchard in CMLL? I don't know. Uh, if, if it is, I think perhaps building her up and defeating your most credible and uh, prote- or, I can't even call it protected. It's not like she beat uh, Charochita clean, but uh, Catalina's young. Zuxus is the is the tag partner. She doesn't have a singles title. I think I could have done without Catalina getting pinned. Maybe pick someone else. There's definitely plenty on the roster you could have done. Uh, but for the most effective result, I, I see why they did that. And if Blanchard's not done in CML, and honestly, I kind of wish she isn't, I'd like to see her more. I'd like to see this division get picked up, right? I'd like to hear more people talk about it, watch it. I know when uh, you guys, RLR listeners, we're all, we're all into this division now, and you know, there was a legit fear that Tessa Blanchard was going to win this title. And then what now? What next? Right. Well, now we're left with the what next with Blanchard being where is she going to go? Is she going to stay in CMLL or is this just a kind of I came into the territory and left and Vacker gets immensely put over strong? Uh, so in that sense of booking, if the if the end goal was how do we get Stephanie Vacker as strong as possible, then mission accomplished. And now it's the rest of the division with the uh, Jarotitas of the world and Huvias and Isis uh, having to now pick up their own momentum to get to Stephanie Vacker's level. Uh, and in terms of like a women's wrestler of the year, Stephanie Vacker has come on really strong in this back half of 2023 and, you know, a top 20 women's wrestler in the world right now. I, I really do believe that. So that is it for CMLL Women's Division. A uh, lot of good stuff through CMLL throughout uh, the end of November, early December here, all the way to the middle. Lots of Mascarada Dorada, uh, Mascara Dorada. I have to, I have to watch that Dorada Rocky Romero match. Still hasn't hit tape, uh, that, to my knowledge, upon recording. So I'll have to do that. Um, Cavanario is coming back. It looks like he's getting back in a form. It's a motivated promotion. And there's a reason why I'm voting at Promotion of the Year. So from here, what I'm going to do is kind of do a quick uh, Joshi Indie roundup leading into TJPW. So what I'm going to do is do something that I missed out on last time. And uh, that'll get us into what's happening next here. Yes, one of my favorite Joshi wrestlers had retur- has returned to the scene after, my God, how long was she out? Uh, July 3rd, 2022, all the way to November 27th, 2023. Nagasu Nozaki. She has uh, now officially left Wave. So Wave is without their best wrestler. 
uh, without their top person. Uh, she is now, for all intents and purposes, freelance. Uh, with how she's being booked currently, and uh, being that her return match is a couple Noah matches, she's got. Uh, she had her return match against Miyuki Takase, defeated her in eight minutes, mid card match. I wasn't like totally impressed. It's definitely a knock off the rust kind of thing, and Takase is a great person for that. Uh, how quickly and easily she pinned her also wasn't shocking. What does this mean for Nozaki and Noah? Are they pegging her uh, to be part of this division long-term if they plan to get this up? I don't know what their deal is. Uh, I guess we'll find out what that might entail for 2024. I'm still holding out a little bit of hope that Nozaki is just taking a couple dates to finish out this year, and she will make a big like surprise January appearance in stardom. Uh, I... I think I posed this question a year and a half, two years ago, where Nozaki on the indie scene, in particular Wave, uh, there wasn't a whole lot left for her. And in that sense, I, I really mean I want to see her take the next step in her career. Could that have been in Wave, and then she's a traveling champion like they tried to do? She's kind of already done that, and with the stagnation of the Joshi Indies, I'd much prefer her go to... And for the sake of our, I mean, let's let's also say TJPW wants to sign her. Let's just put let's just play a uh, devil's advocate there. Of one of those two promotions signs her, and I think there's more upside for that in stardom. Do I necessarily need to see her as a main eventer? I don't. I I could see her as a very good mid card, uh, for all intents purposes, a Micah or Mina Shirakawa type person. And if they if something starts to click and do better uh, throughout... Hello, kitty cat. Welcome back. Oh, I'm going to push you off. Okay. Uh, and if if something clicks with her and connects with the crowd, then yeah, you push her higher. You do it on the circumstance. But where she's at in her career, I think holding her to a degree uh, would be beneficial. And TJPW, main eventer immediately. I don't think there's any questions with that. They need to fill some gaps there, uh, especially since they more or less refuse to push anybody above a certain uh, uh, ceiling until people leave. That's not how you uh, book, but anyways. So, Nozaki going to Noah is crazy in its own sense because there's a lot of scum there, including the guy that uh, physically assaulted her. So, I, I'm at a loss for words with that uh, circumstance and the decisions being made there, but Japanese wrestling, Mexican wrestling, I mean, shit, in Mexico, they're uh, the, the Stephanie Vacker's assaulters in prison, and there's a bunch of wrestlers uh, advocating for him to get out. I'm like, I don't, I don't get I don't get this industry sometimes. It's um, it's filled with scumbags. We all know this. I guess it's something we have to deal with mentally as we watch along. So besides Nagisa Nozaki coming back, there was a marvelous event. And. Uh, over in Marvelous. There was a Cork and Hall. Uh, naturally, Mayumi Ozaki, not on the card. Uh, still one of the dumbest decisions a company has made this year. Uh, resulting in, I thought, bad matches. 
<coughs> really punking out your roster, Ozaki style. I mean, it's Oz Academy, like to me, Marvelous just feels like Oz Academy 2.0 right now. It's just another show with a different name. Another Oz show. They might as well call it Oz Academy Prevents Marvelous Corkin or something. Uh, the Marvelous Corkin I was very much not impressed on. Uh, Promise Braxton in the undercard was nice. Uh, you had uh, some Sendai girls there. It's a very typical card. And Mio Momono loses a number one contenders match to Big Tomoko. 16 minutes. Look, Mio Momono's a good wrestler, but that's not what... Sh- their, their idea is not uh, to push her right now. And they made that very clear when Ozaki won the title. Tomoko was coming for it, right? She will be the savior, and it wouldn't shock me if Tomoko Watanabe wins that thing, right? So, Momono is on a heavy, heavy losing streak ever since she lost the little Marvelous Consolation title. And Ozaki hasn't been seen since. She's been putting off more stuff in Oz Academy uh, around Chigusa Nagayo. We saw that match. Uh, horrid death match, by the way. Uh, and the main event was good, though. It's uh, Magenta winning the tag titles from Nagashima Aroha. And this is very much... Marvelous, or not Marvelous, uh, very much like a Sendai-style Oz Academy or even um, Gaia-type booking with a tag title situation where they go months and months and months without... It's a boxing title, the boxing title booking. You go months and months and months without doing anything with the tag. Now, Roja was injured out for a little bit, but regardless, I believe this was their first defense with the title since the day they won it. So, what is that, like a year long? Let me... uh. Let me double-check that, because a lot of time had passed. 450 days, they won it in September 2022, and they had a grand total of one defense, and that was against Mio Momono and Tomoko Watanabe. Okay, so one defense in a year and a half, essentially. There you go. Um, the match was good. The match was really good. Uh, it deserves the praise. Uh, it's going to make my top 50 tag matches of the year where, you know, I'm just not invested in Marvelous like some other people are. I kind of watch it at an arm's length, much like a lot of the Joshi Indies. But this one I do recommend. Uh, I went three and three quarters on it. Two out of three rec. Ah, fuck it. Three out of three rec. Three out of three. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Takumi Aroha always shows up at Korokin's. Um Tag matches are the specialty. So in other news, Ice Ribbon sold. Ice Ribbon, after years of flirting with essential bankruptcy and folding uh, because of the uh, pandemic and not being able to pay the roster and half the roster leaving for freelance and then not coming back despite, quote unquote, what we were told. Uh, now with this new company in charge, and it's a company that owns like a basketball team and a handball team, uh, it's promising. It looks like they're going to start paying the wrestlers salaries. It looks like it's going to go more along the lines of a state, what a stable promotion needs or what a promotion needs to be stable. And my hope is they hit up the freelance scene and start signing these people back. Uh, who would make the first step? I would like to see Mayu Kihi go back to Ice Ribbon. 
uh, especially considering she has done absolutely nothing in her freelance runs besides hanging out with Chris Brooks and company and doing like PPP Tokyo shows and shit. Uh, let's get these freelancers off the streets and back into a home. That is the ideal goal for 2024. Uh, not to say that Ice Ribbon hasn't done a solid job getting rookies into play, but they do need some veterans on this roster because no one talks about this promotion. No one talks about them anymore at all. Uh, they're very much out of sight, out of mind. And I think this is a good, positive first step for them. I'd like to see some, I'd like to see some results uh, before I start getting back into it. So let's get into TJPW, and that's uh, that, that kind of rounds up the uh, Joshi Indies there. So with TJPW, it's time. Okay, guys, so here's the deal. Yuka Sakazaki has graduated from TJPW, as in her contract's out and she's going to AEW full-time. And all along this road, Yuka has been put over extremely strong still. Uh, no real story of her leaving other than we're kind of done with her at this point. And Yuka's last thing with this promotion was putting over Mizuki at, what was it, Grand Princess? Uh, too little too late. The Mizuki run ended up being extremely underwhelming. No buzz to it at all. And then lost the title to Mio Yamashita. So, um, a mute point when it was all said and done. Then she gets injured, and now she's back, and she did a touring tag last final run with Mizuki. And the last part is ending in this three-way uh, at Kitazawa Town Hall, of all places, like an ice ribbon type place, uh, under 300 people, and the three-way was good. Uh, I don't think it's 8.9 good, according to Cage Match, four and a half star match. No. Uh, did I go three and three quarters? I did. I think it was a very good three-way, showcased the best of what these three can do together, and it's... Uh, the one of three pillars is now out of this company, and Miyu Yamashita seems to be, I can't say on her way. She went to MLW, but she's doing a lot of American dates along with Maki Ito. Uh, they're trying to spread the word to that audience. I don't think it's quite the right decision if you want to grow domestically. <laughs> they want Wrestle Universe subs, apparently. But Sakazaki puts in a good effort here. Uh, it was not uh, a leaving the territory, just have fun type thing. It, she pins Shoko Nakajima. And let me tell you, Shoko Nakajima, she eating those L's. <laughs> she's losing the max. She's losing tag. She's losing the three-way. And hell, I'll get to I'll get to another one. She's losing to Taya Valkyrie in 10 minutes in America. Shoko Nakajima in the mud while Yuka put over as strong as humanly possible. It's... It's quite the uh, amazingness of Yuka and AEW is stronger than Shoko, who's staying in the promotion. Um, but again, I'll go back to my last episode. If you're gonna down, if you're gonna down card somebody to get someone up, Shoko is my pick, right? You can get Rika Tatsumi higher up permanently 
Maki Ito, if she ever decides to come back, you can put her up. You get the idea. Elevate talent. A lot of people point to Miyo Watanabe. I say strap the rocket to Wakana Urihara <laughs> immediately. Uh, it's too much, too much appeal and good in ring as a rookie to not push her to the moon. Those are the examples. So Yuka doesn't put anyone over, and she even pins Shoko on the way out. And that'll take us to the L.A. show where they got a cool 400. So they draw relatively okay in L.A. Is it worth uh, the the travel and what they got to do? I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen the financials, but what a weird show this was. The camera work is. Oh, speaking of camera work, the marvelous uh, Corkin, uh, worst production you may ever see with the camera cuts. It's almost like watching a rave dance, and with uh, TJPW in LA, I don't know. It was a lot of buffering. It wasn't the greatest, but fought through it. And when it came to this show's booking, you you definitely saw a pattern where uh, Team TJPW won everything in the undercard, but the two most important matches in on the show they lose. Now, was that a prestige wrestling decision? It's like okay, you can. We can have X amount of people in the undercard from TJPW win, such as uh, Mizuki defeating Sandra Moon, Mio Watanabe defeating Hayon in eight minutes. That one actually sort of shocked me. But then in the main event, we had Taya Valkyrie defeating Choco in 10 minutes, and then MK Ultra, that's Killer Kelly and Masha, defeating 1 to million. Makito, Miyu Yamashita, 18 minute match. This was okay. I think Killer Kelly has incredibly regressed as a wrestler. Uh, but mostly this was to to build something for Masha Slamovich and Mio Yamashita because, well, Masha hasn't been to TJPW in any capacity, and she's main eventing their January 4th show coming up. What is someone to do other than... Anyways. Free Wi-Fi defeated Janai Kai, Shaza McKenzie, 9 minutes. I just did not watch that match. I am not watching a Shaza McKenzie match in 2023. And it was only 9 minutes, so... Not wasting my time there. So TJPW building up to their January 4th show. Look, I it's going to do well. It's it's probably going to do over a thousand. I'd be shocked if it didn't. Um, but like sold out. I I don't think they're pushing their 2019. Um, I don't think they're going to push their 2019 numbers. I just don't think this promotion has that has that sort of caveat and buzz as we enter 2024. I think there's a lot of ground for TJPW makeup because they're 2023. Yes, they did some decent things in attendance and have some good matches here and there, but in terms of like year over year numbers, especially in terms of their big shows, uh, they were all down. Every single one of them. Uh, they only punched uh, above 700 at Cork in a couple times in the year. You would have expected more. Uh, you know, you gotta you gotta get to those. You gotta get to seven hundred each and every time. You know, if if Stardom goes six seven hundred at a cork and it's like, oh my god, what are they doing? They're falling apart. But if any of these other promotions do, it's like number of the century. And I we we gotta we gotta make equal expectations for those things of what's considered good is a. Is a 500 number for Pure J and Seedling good at Cork and Hall? They're not. Are they, like, breaking even? Yeah, sure. You know, we can live with them. But 
if we want to see these companies grow and do better and be able to book better matches, uh, even though they kind of have the choice to do that, then the expectations got to be raised. So finally, time for stardom. And time for Suzu Suzuki Micah talk. Because that's what matters. Where is my Suzu drop? Is it still an ice ribbon? It might still be in the ice ribbon section. Maybe I gotta update that. Um, Tsukushi, Maya. Oh, maybe I did put it in stardom. I'm looking for it, guys. Oh, stardom IR Suzuki. Alright, that's what I got. Here we go. Okay, so I could I could probably talk a lot about Wakana Urihara and uh, the potential star power I think she has for TJPW, but we're here for stardom. We're here for uh, the build towards Dream Queendom, and the card's looking good. The card's looking way better than last year. We got Julian Megan Bain uh, running that back for the strong title, and it looks like Megan Bain's going to be on some January shows as well. So that result could go either way. I'm leaning Julia, obviously. I don't think Megan Bain's going to win. But it wouldn't shock me if Bain wins. And uh, the the point of that match, I thought, was built very solid. With Bain, Bain has been booked strong. And she's starting to like take some L's every now and again. This show in particular, the, goal, the uh, Big Winter in Nagoya show. Where... Let's see, they got 952. I'll just kind of cut my own thoughts off there. 952, which, if we compare uh, prior, let's see here. I actually didn't uh, put it down in my stats here, but Nagoya, earlier this year, did they even do it? Uh, I don't know, guys. It's... uh. Out of my A game. Here we go. Midsummer Champions Nagoya 1064. So, okay. I mean, you'd like to see 11, 1200 minimum. I can't say anything in Nagoya. Uh, under 1100 is a good number. Could you say it's solid? Could you say it's acceptable based on the circumstance of uh, how they were building everything? Sure. I, you know, I'd listen, to, I'd listen to the argument, is what I'm going, what I'm going with. But in terms of uh, stardom, trying look, they're they're trying to recoup. Uh, they got a lot of people being rested, even with the slightest cold or stub toe, and we're starting to see people come back on the tour heading to Dream Queendom. We got uh, Tora and Momo challenging for the tag titles of Aphrodite with their big comeback. Get to that match on this Nagoya show here in a second, and we got Suzu Suzuki Micah along with a rematch of Sauriano and Mirai, which I would have preferred, personally, to see Mina Shirakawa in that position, gunning for the white belt one last time, try to recoup some of that storyline from earlier in the year. But the fact that Aono and Mirai went to a 30-minute draw, which I really enjoyed, uh, this gives them the opportunity to go in a step further and rekindle something that maybe they possibly had to 
uh, stay away from in, the, in their previous encounter. So those are your top four matches there. I think it's a solid card. Up and down, I think. I, w- I would have definitely preferred and would have liked to see a little bit more undercard stuff. And we're getting rookies on the card. Uh, we're getting some decent little trios tags. But I'd, li- I'd like to see a little bit more, uh, I guess, creativity in how you're going to book these cards together. Maybe build up something for Triangle Derby. Maybe build up something for some uh, January shows that that are coming up, especially with the January 4th show looming that they're doing before Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, If they do angles on the show for Dream Kingdom and it's related to Jan 4, I'd be like, okay. But in terms of kind of a a star power thing, I would have liked to see Shuri in something better. Mayu's coming back. I would have liked to see her in, in something a little bit more. We need something indicative of what a sumo hall card should be. And I don't buy the excuse of, oh, they have to book something for City Hall in Jan 4. I, it's just not enough. I, I, with the roster as deep as it is, and everyone's come back from, from injury, you can, do, you can do something more for City Hall and still have things uh, to play with. Uh, the schedule isn't as, I think, bad as... I, I don't, I've never agreed that it's as bad as other people have said, because if you get creative and you do something a little extra... You can book pay-per-views like in back-to-back days or weeks apart. Now, can you draw? Well, that's when you have to get creative and do some interesting things. So, uh, as for the show, um, Cage Match has a 6.5, not many votes. I'm not that low. I'm at more of like a 7, 7.5, because mostly I think this show really accomplished what it set out to do. And that was establishing your wrestlers going forward to what was needed for Sumo Hall. Julia defeats Azumi uh, in a 13-minute match. Very much, uh, we'll call it the high-speed strong style match, which I immensely enjoyed. Azumi has her one gear, but I liked how she molded with Julia. Uh, I want to see more hate. And that's why Suzu Suzuki and Micah has hit so well. They both want to win. Both need to win. They need to establish this heat and give some give some juice to the match. And I'm super curious what they'll do at Sumo Hall because I think by, by hook or crook, Suzu and Micah have done everything correct in the storyline other than a little bit more hate early on, which I was critical of. I think that's the only thing lacking. Aphrodite defeats Divine Kingdom of Micah, Megan Bay, the real world tag league final for the goddesses of stardom titles, these these vacant titles. 13 minutes, ended abruptly as hell, where they had a solid match between Saya and Utami against Micah and Megan Bain. And for it to end off Micah hitting her spinning clothesline on Bain and Utami just going, Chance! And German this woman into the mat, one, two, three. It was over before you knew it. I like I like that they do something like that every now and again. I don't think this was the show to do that for. I wanted to see like a 20-minute tag where they go all out and just barrel into each other because there was a there was a lot of mu- strong muscular women in this match and then also Sayakamatani who isn't she's not as built as the others. She's more uh, on the on the lankier side and speed-wise, 
but her height makes up for that, and so she can pretty much equal everyone in the ring in her way. So it was nice seeing her return uh, and get the big dub with Utami, and this is the right team to put it on. I, I'm very much well in agreement that Aphrodite is the way to go. I think there's real beauty pair-esque strategy here, uh, where you got to have your your male figure and your female figure, and then they go against each other. These two need to be the tag champions, doing great defenses. Uh, fuck it, all of 2024, do it. It'll keep both of of your main people in strong positions going forward throughout the year, and you can slip in a singles titles match every uh, every now and again if you so choose. But if they're strong tag champions, then there's a lot that they can do with this uh, throughout monthly pay-per-views. And you can have uh, a Micah when, uh, post-Megan Bain get a new partner, whether that's Ami Saray or wh- whomever or not, uh, not Nazi Poi, um, who am I thinking of? Hell, my Sakurai. I'd like to see her get, get, a, get a shot like that. Maybe not on pay-per-view. You can do that at Corkin Hall, but you get the idea. And the world of stardom title match, Suzu Suzuki defeats Hazuki 14 minutes. I wanted this go to 20 minutes. I really, I really wanted it. I need it. I need big stardom matches to give me a, a sense of time, right? And I've said this in the past. 20, like 18 to 22 minutes, particularly 20 minutes, is that sweet spot for you to for for you to get fully invested in high end matches like that. Uh, now, did they like fumble around on the mat for the first five minutes? No, they go they go straight at it. They're throwing each other into chairs. Hazuki's hitting her brain busters and and uh, uh, sentons. Hazuki is a ball of fire that always brings a match up to another level. Uh, four stars flat for me, uh, full three. I I didn't question it. Uh, obviously, I think a big big qualm uh, with most people and myself included. I was guilty of it. Is you didn't really believe Hazuki had a prayer in winning. So for them to kind of not waste our time and go 14, I think that's fine. But when you combine a lot of these shows lately, house shows and, and, and well, this pay-per-view and the like, none of these matches are, are clipping above 15 minutes. They're all in that 11 to 14 range tops, right? So everything is feeling, uh, Everything is feeling like it's not hitting any sort of climax in the match. Everything's ending so abruptly that you're just like, oh, it's over. Ah, kind of wish there was more to it. And that would certainly get me further invested in a lot of the matches. Uh, as for the undercard, Mesa and Tekla had an okay minute little high speed match. Uh, Nanai Takahashi defeated Alice Inc. in a seven minute UWF bullshit. It's fucking terrible. I hate all these things. Get rid of them. And it looks like, uh, is there something announced for Sumo involved in this bullshit, too? I hope not. You know what? I'm not going to look it up. That'll only make me angry. Uh, what was announced is the return of Triangle Derby, but they're going to do it a, a one-day tournament, which I think is okay. They're doing a rookie tournament. Uh, that's the rumor going around. Um, I like those moves to start up uh, 2024. It's, uh, and Triangle Derby was a success last year. Uh, the company was hotter for sure, but in terms of like how it drew uh, a few of the matches, I think it I think it kept a lot of the wrestlers fresh. I don't know. I didn't really have that much 
issue with Triangle Derby. I just wish it was a little bit more exciting and was a little bit more buzz because the main issue with Triangle Derby was when you're watching all these shows and every single match is a trios match, it gets a little redundant. That's that's where it lacked. Okay. Nice little quick uh, tidy review here, but Suzu Suzuki and Micah, well, they're spitting and snarling at each other and they're just talking so much shit and it's it's been built incredibly well through the heat and fire and I want to see them go out on Sumo Hall, absolutely crush it and you know between if they nail it at Sumo, that will be my rivalry of the year. If they don't, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's it's I'm really leaning towards Vacker and Blanchard uh, because they also nailed it in their particular time frame. Uh, you can always count on Julia Tam. I think that was handled as bad as well as it could be under the circumstances, but I think that's third place. Although, Minashir Kawasai Kamatani is right there. Okay. That does it for that section of the Joshi. Let's talk about some AJW. One hundred and three episodes of AJW Classics. Here we are in a post Big Egg world. Last episode, I did a lot of Hall of Fame talk over the Beauty Pair. Learned about the Queen Angels. Went over some matches. There's a lot of a lot of 1970s we could we could dive into, but maybe that's for another day. I got what I wanted out of that episode. Short and sweet, as most of these are, and. Uh, the classics does not go over post Big Egg. It goes straight over, straight into 1995 in January. The cork and halls and whatnot. So I u- utilized uh, doing the one singular uh, Big Egg show to take advantage of uh, Russell Marine Piad, and then this one Marine Piad EX, which I can only assume means extra <laughs> or extreme because it was the 90s. But on this show, it's it's two weeks after Big Egg. It uh it takes place on December fourth, nineteen ninety four, at the Yokohama Bunka Gymnasium. Uh, sold out, thirty two hundred capacity. Uh, not quite, but it was getting there. Where Aja Kong, due to her loss to Akira Hokuto in the main event, and Akira Hokuto is no more. For the time being. Aja Kong needs her heat back. Along with Yumika Hota losing to Combat Toyota in weird fashion at Big Egg. This was a rehab show. And it was a build show. To gear up for uh, everything that's going to happen in 1995. And I'm very curious as a fan. Because I've done this journey chronologically. Since the beginning of all the AJW Classics. And yeah, like many of us, it's like scattered match here. Watch this 1995 Minami Toyota match here. Watch Big Egg there. You get to see everything in bits and pieces. And not so much like how we consume wrestling today, where everything is in chronological. 
you watch each and every show uh, with the context of each other, right? The benefit to myself in learning about all this and is getting a lot of the context. So, could you come into watching this Hota Ajakong match and think, okay, I saw them hand match in early 94, bloody mess, Hota finally got some credibility to her for the first time in her career, other than being cool tag wrestler that wants to be Chigusa Nagao really bad. And Aja Kong hanging out in the semi-main and, and third, fourth from the top, defending the title across the interpromotional era. Now she's taken that big loss. What are these two going to do on this show? Along with three other big things. LCO for further establishing themselves as a top-end tag team. The quote-unquote debut of Blizzard Yuki, Saki Asagawa, in full form here. And then the return to wrestling, Linus Asuka. She came back at Big Egg. Here on this show, she's teaming with Kyoko in a way against Takako in a way and Toshio Yamada. So the three WA tag champs, uh, double in a way, are on opposite ends of the sides for this particular show. So from the context of post Big Egg and what has happened and what we, well, in our benefit is know what happens to Asuka in the future, this was an interesting show to partake in. So we're back at Yokohama, and from bottom to top, it's kind of what we expect. Misei Watanabe defeats Mina Taniyama, rookie match. It's okay, we can move on four minutes. Then, we take it a step further. Chaprita Asari and Nobuo Endo defeats Kumiko Meikawa and Yoko Takahashi 11 minutes, and this is one of those rookie matches that takes entirely too long just to see Asari do a couple of her cool moves and we move on. Uh, do they get the reps in? Yes, but this is not the show to do that when they run a million shows a year. We talk about stardom schedule. AJW schedule puts them to shame where a part-time schedule is like 80 to 90 matches. <laughs> okay? Because they're... they're they're not quite there, but they're close to splitting that roster and going off in two directions uh, to do as many house shows as physically possible so the Matsunagas can continue to make up the bank that they lost from the ramen business, among other ventures uh, from various articles you can find out over splurging over wild animals in their homes and the like. Uh, you can go over a ton of different wacky, wacky stories if you dig deep enough and ask the right people. Uh, wacky, wacky things. You want to buy a boat? Yeah, I'd rather you pay me a full contract and salary, but uh, at least we can have some ramen on this big yacht. Thank you, Matsunagas. Uh, I'll just uh, repair my neck with this with this uh, top ramen I got here. Great. Good job. We're not quite 1996, 97 where the dojo's being repossessed, but we're on the road. But in 1994 here, post-Big Egg, and heading into 95, things are looking very positive. The roster is getting a little bit more healthy. People are coming back. Yeah, there's a couple of retirements here. Kira Hokuto, one of them. <laughs> uh, but we also have a lot of rookies now in the works to fill out this roster, which is very important. Because then now, you're not looking at four-match cards anymore where Kyoko Winoue has to go out there for 30-minute matches. Now we can get some of these 12-minute matches in, in again. And that's more indicative of a healthy card and healthy roster. So we move on. 
Reggie Bennett and Ritamata. I am loving watching Ritamata go in there and kick some ass. Uh, they defeat Suzuka Minami and Tomoko Watanabe. 12 and a half minutes. This was totally fine. Nice little two and a half star, three star match deal. Uh, no problem with it. It's exactly what you kind of want in an undercard, especially from this time in the early to mid 90s. Uh, look, it's tall time. Suzuka Minami comes in. And she's very good. She's still a stalwart of this entire division and roster, but she is there to essentially get in there and help get other people over. Her time has come and gone, and that's okay. We can all live with that. Then we get to the business end of the card here. LCO. That's Gomita Mima Shimoda take on Kaori Ito and Mariko Yoshida. Uh, this was one-sided as hell. 12 minutes, it's LCO doing the, like, jump and suicide dive combo. Uh, Ito is starting to gain some weight. We have noticed this now over the last couple months. She's getting a little bit more poundage on her, uh, which in this instance is good because she looked like Peter Pan was on the island too long and no one's feeding him. Uh, Mariko Yoshida, she's on a crash course of sophomore trying to get her heat back because she's booked like a rookie and she looks like a rookie and she's still trying to do a couple of her high flying moves but she is very much taped up and they sell that a lot uh how'd this match end where are my notes this match ends with oh two death valley driver attempts by mita are both stopped uh yoshida tries to roll up uh, German suplex, um, and then Mita Germans her out of a double clothesline while Shimoda deals with a missile kick. DVD finishes Yoshida. Okay, 16 minutes, 33 seconds. A lot of good, a lot of good cockiness from, uh, LCO these days. Uh, you love to see it. Then we get my favorite match on the show. It is Blizzard Yuki. The former Saki Asagawa taking on Minami Toyota. And this was my kind of shit. Now, do I need Saki Asagawa in a mask? I don't. But this new style and persona of hers, I'm really into. Uh, look, they got a they got a, a manga coming out, superhero. They wanted to market someone that could do this. And they could have chosen worse. I'll put it that way. If you're going to go full bore into something new and interesting... I think Blizzard Blizzard Yuki Sakiaskawa has handled this extremely well. Where, yes, she still has her awesome Riptide uh, uh, Uranagi slams, right? Right on their neck and, and some suplexes. That's all awesome. What we got here is Manami Toyota going out and doing her damnedest to get this woman over. She sold a lot. I mean, there was a good 12 minutes of offense, of just Blizzard Yuki pulling out new and interesting cool shit for uh, Minami Toyota to sell for, and that's what they went with, and it got her over huge. And she had no business to do in that. She, she, Minami Toyota didn't have to go out there and have a match style. Did it start off a little slow and do doing some headlocks and mat work? Yes, it did. It was only about five minutes, so not that big a deal. But it was the selling in the middle that was super important. And that allowed Blizzard Yuki to really show off more than just jumping heel kicks. 
which Saki Asagawa is heavily associated with. There's so much more to it than that. For 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 Saki Asagawa to go out there with a new persona, a new character, and busting out uh, essentially like Lucha Libre moves, along with keeping her awesome suplex, she, she knew what worked for her, and then busted out the new moves for the better character. Toyota was awesome. Blizzard Yuki was great. The near falls in the last seven minutes really got you to buy into, oh my god, any one of these women can win, and that's how you get someone over strong. Uh, look, it's a full three match for me. I think it's I, you know, four, four and a quarter. I really enjoyed this, and I can't wait to see what's next for Toyota coming out of this. Although I suspect it's just going to be more of the same, because she can do a match like this, and mission accomplished. The biggest question is, what's Blizzard Yuki going to do? Is she going to get a tag partner? Is she going to go for the All-Pacific title? Or are they going to have her flounder in tags and just kind of be this superhero character and that's enough? You know, I could see something along the lines of Blizzard Yuki and Asari teaming up and going for like the little AJW tag titles. But I'd like to see if they go that route of some sort of tag team. I'd like to see a mix it up with LCO, who's on the rise. I'd like to see Yuki up against a Kyoko Inoue, a Toshio Yamada. Let's let's get her in there with more of these uh upper mid-card wrestlers that we can buy into some of these some of these awesome matches. That's what I personally want to see and that's what I uh expect in a certain way coming out of this match cuz it was a home run of a booking decision here. And a home run match. A lot of it doesn't happen if Minami Toyota is very um unselfish in the ring. If she was selfish, then we got a totally different outcome and story coming out of this. In the semi-main event, Kyoko Inoue and Lioness Asuka defeat Takako Inoue and Toshi Yamada. 15 minutes, 42 seconds. Lioness Asuka's first quote-unquote official match back out of retirement, the former crush gal. We've seen, we've seen a lot of Chigusa Nagayo. We've seen some up and downs with her, uh, let's call it, old sayings that she pulled off and got booze and the announcement of Gaia well pretty soon and maybe not by uh maybe not by intentional design but Jaguar Yakota's on commentary with like this disgusted look on her face when it comes to Linus Hoska in this ring uh how come Asuka gets to come back full-time and Jaguar still retired is hanging out well JD Star. Jaguar Yokota's uh, instance, along with Bison Kimura and Linus Asuka, are about a year away from kicking off here. And we're splitting. We're splitting rosters. We're splitting people. Is that enough to keep the scene healthy, or is it too many promotions? We're going to kind of see. We're going to see how that turns out. Are those three enough to fill out a roster of interest and get you in- interesting matches? Well... A roster is only as good as its as its depth of like a, let's say ten wrestlers. You kind of need a bare minimum in order to get any sort of effort in there and any sort of interest. Otherwise, you're stuck doing interpromotional stuff. That's not it burns out quick. Put it that way. You may have a year, maybe two, if you're generous with it, of of how it'll play out. But this match was kind of the prelude to a lot of that in my mind. You had Asuka hitting a hitting her big swing right out of the gate and you're just like, oh 
that's a big swing. Not what Risa Sarah does or Lady C does in the modern era. But And then Kyoko Winoue reciprocates. She does one of her own. You're like, that's real speed and real power. That's that's what we're looking forward to. Now, does Asuka's style in this match maybe delve into too much 1980s I'm on the mat? Yeah, it kind of did. <laughs> but it's also it's like watching a uh, a singles match of Norio Tateno in LOPW. Speaking of which, LOPW reviews very much into 1995 uh getting there and there's a lot of missing tape we're going to get get into, but uh when it comes to a Norio Tateno singles match and then a lot of these 80s wrestlers starting to kind of return in some capacity uh that's when we're we're going to start seeing more of a, di- a, a deluge of styles where they're kind of clashing with the old and the new era. Okay. So Asuka gets the win in her comeback, and that takes us into the main event. Aja Kong, 3WA world title on the line against Yumika Hota, 19 minutes, 27 seconds. This was incredibly disappointing. And you could tell... Almost right away. I won't, I won't say uh, too good. Uh, oh, yeah, I gave that Kyoko Asuka tag. Uh, I can't recommend it. doesn't make the scale. I don't know. Two stars, three stars if you're being nice. Uh, it, it just wasn't that exciting of a match besides the initial start with the big swings. Now, when it comes to Kong and Hota, the reason why I started off this podcast episode was because... I had to give you the context of what was happening because Aja coming off that loss and Hota coming off the loss. What are they going to do to rectify some of the booking decisions that were made, had to be made uh, in light of all that? So what we got here was a full court press, a blitzkrieg, if you will, of Aja Kong beating the shit out of Yumiko Hota. This was so one-sided, I couldn't believe my eyes. I was, I was, I had to watch it twice, because the first time I was a little bit distracted, but with this one, it was about Aja Kong just beating the hell out of Yumiko Hota's leg, a leg match with Aja Kong. I know, you can't believe it. And Hota is just, she's trying to sell it, but she's not very good. Uh, She's still trying to kick, and Aja just is relentless on the attack. It's like 10 minutes of just tearing at the knee, getting the trash can, beating on it. So that's a good 50% of the match, all in one eight-minute sequence of where Aja's just barreling into this knee as much as he can. So it doesn't make for a very exciting match, if you will. But you get the idea here. So you're like, okay. I'm watching this, and I bet we're all thinking, okay, so Hota's going to make this like amazing comeback, big baby face turn. Because of the hand match, she proved how tough she was. And unfortunately, it's only like a two to three minute barrage where she's hitting like super moves. She's hitting, she's trying to go for the pyramid driver. She's hitting straight, ger- straight jacket German suplexes. Not really getting good two counts, if you catch my drift there. Aja just won't stay down very long at all. And it's really making Yubika Hota look like she can't get the job done very well. And so if the objective over here was, we need Aja to look like the baddest bitch on the planet again, and up against someone who 
is as tough as they were perceived in Yumiko Hota, then again, that's mission accomplished. Does Yumiko Hota have enough of the cred where, okay, she came in with an injured leg and Aja targeted it? Is that an out? Was she, was she, could you look at the match where she was weakened to begin with? Yeah, I suppose you could, and Aja took advantage of that. Yeah, it's it's simple sports storytelling that you can interpret in a number of different ways, and I think that's okay. What is bizarre, though, is the match was almost 20 minutes, and it was just this. And if you listened earlier on RLR proper, and you're, t- and you're hearing me talk about like Hazuki and Suzu Suzuki go at it, and you kind of knew the result, and it was 14 minutes, maybe a little too short for what they wanted, but you you knew the idea, so get in, get out. Would that have been the better decision here, where Kong just takes Hota out in 13, 14 minutes, and we don't have to have an elongated leg sequence that lasts for, like, over half the match? Maybe I'd come on here and, and give it the same critique as I did the Suzu and Hazuki match or some other modern equivalent. I could. I could see myself doing that, but in this instance is what I got to go off of, and Aja Kong hits her with an Urken, picks her up for two when there's sort of the, the kick out, and then clocks her again in one, two, three, and we're done. It's just kind of, it's just over, and it was it was kind of shocking to me. It ended abruptly, even though it was 20 minutes, because the journey there was kind of boring, it was kind of dull, very one-sided. It wasn't indicative of an exciting match, so I don't know. Two and a half stars, two stars. I, I don't rate this match very highly. Does it get the job done that it set out to do? I suppose it does. It's hard to it's hard to see the scenario where it doesn't. Because now we're going to head into uh, the end of Tag League, which I will try to go over in the next episode along with uh, the first January show of 95. Uh, what does this mean for Hota going forward? Does she have more... Uh, does she get more credibility back in Tag League, or is she too injured to compete? There's a lot of questions in this roster heading into 95, and they're going to have to do some more uh, work to heat everyone up again, because the peak is gone, and now there's going to be this lull period of kind of coming off the huge show and seeing what we got to do next, who we're going to book. nakano has gone for the most part. Hokuto is retired. Uh, she's kind of done. So you lose two huge stars, and who are you left with? You're left with Aja Kong, who's had this title forever. You got Kyoko Winaway, Toshi Umada, Manami Toyota, and then it's a lot of question marks. Who is going to lead this company in a post-Big Egg world? And numero uno, uh, uh, mission one was getting Aja Kong to look as dominant as possible back. Again, in this sense, I agree. This is kind of the right decision to do it. Uh, did they need to do this two weeks after Big Egg? I think it would have been more effective kind of as a January 4th, 5th Cork and Hall show. But, hey, you got tickets to sell for Yokohama Bunka, and the hand match was a roaring success. Run it back and accomplish what you need to do. I can't disagree with any of this. Um, I tried looking up who was more or less booking this instance of a show, and... I guess it's up for interpretation depending on who you ask. Uh, I got a couple sources that say Rossi Ogawa had this idea. The Matsunagas had the objective that, look, 
we did what we needed with Hokuto. We need to somehow come up with Aja Kong booking strong again. So a lot of things at this point in time are now leading towards decisions by committee if it's not uh, interpromotional stuff. Interpromotional stuff is, seems to be Ogawa's thing where he's calling who. He's uh, getting the political th- strings all together. What will that do going forward? Well, LOPW is not going to be, and FMW is not going to be in the uh, long future for AJW, at least in how we get into 1995 due to instances at Big Egg. That's what the LOPW podcast was for. Go listen to that one in a post-Big Egg world. Shinobu Kandori shooting on Akira Hokuto. It's a big, long story there. Really enjoyed that. <laughs> so, so it's always an interesting uh, case with AJW politically and how we are going to go forward as we uh, finish Tag League and head into 1995. The money's still there, but it's starting to deplete. We'll see how this promotion can handle various business moves and economical strifes as we go forward for the next few years. This was AJW Destiny. Ricky, it's time to talk some men's wrestling. Yeah, I'm here for it. Oh, and I, you know what? Before we recorded, okay, full disclosure. This is why I said maybe <laughs> 730. Uh, impromptu cocktail party I uh, just had. Yeah. So uh, over the weekend, I uh, so I bowl with a lot of kooky characters. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three nights a week. Very busy. <laughs> it seems like it's golf in the su- golf in the summer now, bowling in the winter. Meet a bunch of just the strangest people, but are also very helpful. Well, one of them happens to run a liquor store. Oh, 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 oh. Ooh, that's a good person to know. Yes, very good person. And one of their prime strategies in their particular liquor store in the what we'll call that cut out. Am I still mm-hmm. alive? Yep, there you are. Oh, okay, there I am. Okay. All right, great. Good start. Um, <laughs> runs a liquor store in the French Quarter of Rhode Island, we'll call it. I didn't okay. even know Rhode Island had a French Quarter. Okay, so a little Rhode Island history, which I uh, totally knew uh, before I moved here because I'm uh, so smart. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even know. <laughs> um, there's a in, in northern Rhode Island, there's a whole like sector called Woonsocket. And right. I'm familiar with Woonsocket. Okay. <laughs> That's where a bunch of French Canadians immigrated from uh, to be a mill town and oh. all that. That's why when you uh, meet people from Woonsocket over the over a certain age, generally, uh, they say things mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to go forth and back. They say things like that. Oh, There's certain phrases and words. Interesting. So he runs a liquor store up there and the whole shtick of the liquor store is. uh. They have all the popular stuff. That's easy. But they have a they have a 
not a theme, but a shtick to it, a gimmick, if you will. And the gimmick is uh, they'll go to like a lot of the bars in the area and they'll buy up the rest of the stock of the shit they can't sell. And it's and they mostly try to get things that either aren't on their shelves now or maybe went through a label change or something weird. And they do that through vendors. And so you'll come across a lot of uh, unknown liquors and alcohol that uh, just aren't selling very well. But there's like nothing wrong with them. And what they do is they do taste testing and stuff. Uh, especially on weekends, and uh, my buddy and I uh, went there on Saturday uh, because he's like, "Hey, I got a taste testing of all these, all this new supply, right?" I'm like, all right, we're in. So we got. I ended up walking out of this place with an American whiskey for fifteen bucks and three kinds of rum for ten bucks each, and there's literally nothing like bad about them other than one went through a label change, another's new and trying to get off the ground. Uh, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I spent 60 bucks on just a huge supply. So I'm drinking uh, American whiskey right here. Nice. Okay. Uh, good stuff. Where is it? Where is it distilled? Uh, Maine. Well, okay. No, well, okay. The guys made it in Maine. And then mm-hmm. they have it. It's It was easier to, like, put the formula in, like, Tennessee. Because that's where all the barrels are. And then they have it. Uh, uh, they have it bottled back in Maine. Okay. Yeah. A little roundabout, but I get right. it. I got a rum from Maine as well. Interesting. Yep. And then I got a silver rum, um, which is okay. It's more of the mixing kind. And then okay. a rum, R H U M, which is we'll call it the French version of rum. Uh. And I got curious. Uh, so I have, mm-hmm. and this is what our cocktail party was uh, doing. It's like, hey, what kind of ah. drinks do we want to make with all this fucking rum I bought? <laughs> yeah. Right? And whiskey and all these things. And uh, I, I just for shits, I got a, what's called Narragansett beer. It's very it's mm-hmm. local Rhode Island. Um, they came out with a Czech Pilsner, basically. Yeah. So um, I have experience with Czech Pilsners in Germany, but. That's a different story for another day. But so um, I have a book that my grandfather gave to me uh, like on it was in his will. And it's a cocktail book from the 50s. And it it only had it only had two more prints. It's a Playboy cocktail party book. Oh, holy crap. I need to see this. Yeah. And the last. um, Hold on. I can grab it. Oh, yes. (laughs) Proof of life. Oh, don't, uh, don't go anywhere. I'm <laughs> I cannot wait to see this thing. Go around the table now. <laughs> I'm so excited. Here I go. Ah, okay. I'm back. I'm so excited to see this thing. Okay, so here's the book: Playboy, Host and Bar. Let's Holy see, crap! Gotta... That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this particular print was in 1971. Okay. Oh yeah. my gosh, I love it. I love it. Uh, it does not have naked women in it, if that was the thing, but it has like, it has like dissertations and how to properly serve your guest and, uh, 
particular uh. rooms of the house, depending on what drinks you're you're serving. I was like, man, before technology, let me tell you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I um, love it. I love I love old school stuff like that. Retro um, the feeling. And we basically had a cocktail party with I got my fireplace going a little bit and we were just talking and entertaining our, ourselves. The putting green also helps. That's in my living room. But basically, we were just mixing oh, yeah. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> we're mixing stuff. Um, normal people would have like a music area <laughs> in their homes back in. Uh, I have a putting green. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, it's not normal. Yeah. It's not not normal. <laughs> so that was fun. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. So that's what I've been up to. Video games, anime podcast, all kinds of stuff here at Red Leaf Retrocast. Retro drink talk with the retro book <laughs> and the retro yeah, cocktails. So what, drinks, so what cocktails did you make? So we kind of uh, kept it more simple because we definitely need a okay. lot more nuanced ingredients some of these things i never even heard of and what's interesting is there's a lot of german and french in this book uh so they don't they don't actually use um like have you ever do you know what a caraway seed is wait i know of caraway seed but no actually i do not right i was like so in the cocktail book here it has it listed as kumel which is the German word for caraway seed. And I was just totally fucking stumped. They're like, well, uh, JD, what? How come you don't know this German word? I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know everything. It's just, it's crazy. I know. And so I look it up and I was like, caraway. I don't know what that is in English. <laughs> like, no wonder I don't know it. <laughs> I don't know it in any language. So I had to look up what a caraway seed is. So we're missing a lot of nuanced yeah. ingredients like that for the cocktails. So um, some people add highballs. Uh, whiskey sours were going around uh, quite a lot. Uh, and then to really utilize the rum, we'll need to get like some tropical stuff. That's the deal there. Okay. Yeah. Love it. So future cocktail party uh, in the works, I'm sure. Um, Love not going, it. Not going anywhere for the holidays this year. Uh, I might I, actually I might go on a snowboarding trip alone. I uh, haven't done that in a couple years. Nice. Nice. What's going on in your neck of the woods of Denver area? Um, <laughs> I started a new job last week. So that's exciting. Um, big desk with giant monitors. I do. I do have a big desk and giant monitors because I am working primarily from home now. Um, I'll be going to the office occasionally, but <laughs> pretty much from home. Um, which That's is wild, super exciting. I just changed but... my schedule where I start just before 5 a.m. now. Oh, okay. I am exhausted, but I get to leave work at like yeah. one o'clock most days. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 5 a.m. Oh, yeah. That's early. <laughs> um,. I was doing the time difference and I was like, oh, that's not that bad because I did. I went like the wrong way first in my <laughs> head. I'm like, no, that's that's 3 a.m. my time. Right. Um, so if I like get on Twitter or something, you'll be like, this guy's insane. Why is he up so late? It's like, no, I just woke right, up. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm at work already. Uh, yeah, it's funny because now it. the morning meeting, the morning engineering meeting 
I'm almost mm-hmm. halfway through my day when that starts, when all the other engineers are getting there. <laughs> and I'm like, amazing. They're like, okay, good luck for the day. And I'm like, ah, yeah, mine's almost over. <laughs> amazing. Yep. Amazing. Um, other than that, um, planning our trip east for the holidays. Um, I think we're going to be there from about Christmas till um, MLK Day just to make the drive worth it. Because oh, we're going to wow. pack up the okay. dogs and drive out and and everything. Just with two dogs, man, it's just so hard to travel, especially over the holidays. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's actually well, cheaper. Yes. Yeah, so to, I mean, way cheaper to just pack everybody up and just Are you going to be drive. in New Jersey the whole time or are you going to be coming up to the Boston area? So I'll be in... The between Providence and Foxborough, <laughs> that area of Massachusetts. All right. Um, for the majority of this day, I will be in New Jersey for most of the Restival weekend. So I don't know if I'm going to make any Restival matches. Um, it's just the way it works out, the way our family um, gets yeah, together yeah, yeah, with yeah. the holidays. We always get together the Saturday after. Christmas and this year that happens to be right around New Year's. So, um, it just is what it is. Um, you'll have to come get drunk at the bowling alley one night. Oh, maybe. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, I am still, I mean, I mean, I will be working, um, the whole time that I'm out there. I'm not taking a whole ton of leave. Um, but yeah, I think we can manage that. Good thing bowling's at night. That's what I say. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So uh, this is a wrestling podcast uh, that we also. Uh, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. Crazy that we also uh, drink and do things. But um, so I'm fully caught up on basically all CMLL at this point. And the music before we went on this big diatribe was Misty Kos, And I have uh, two particular shows that really stood out to me. Uh, the November 26th Arena Mexico show and the December 1st Super Viernes show. And Ricky, I'm close to just saying, because Observer Awards are coming out soon. A lot of people are doing their year-end awards. We'll we'll have to do a, a mm-hmm. special year-end episode for fun. Um, okay. But uh, I'm basically going to vote uh, Super Viernes. Uh, that's their, like, Friday Arena Mexico type shows as the show like the the weekly tv show of the year yes it's technically like pay-per-view on their youtube but it is a weekly show which is kind of i guess the criteria uh that it needs to qualify for and yes i watch a lot of these shows on delay i got um at least one guy in the discord here of rlr who uh watches every friday show it's to me it's 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 been the best weekly show for me to watch in 2023 Cause I don't walk, I never walk away like infuriated or frustrated or disappointed. It's been from beat to beat, uh, since about March this year, a must watch show. I mean, I know we've, we've talked many times, um, about how you felt about CMLL this year. Um, when you say you don't walk away disappointed is that because the bar is low like lower than weekly american television 
or is it because it's just consistently that good? It's because it's consistently that good. The the booking and action, and the key word for me was action. The action mm. is always there, and it's no bullshit, right? It's mm. uh, and mm-hmm. and <laughs> what's funny is they also generally have one women's match a show, but okay. I don't walk away frustrated with that because they have a lot of multi man matches, and mm. and those are used to set up. When they eventually do have, like on December 1st, they had Stephanie Vacker, Tessa Blanchard, which I talked about earlier on the podcast. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Tessa Blanchard, uh, riddled with controversy, as we know, um, shitty personality. Uh, but what, and Flip Gordon just signed with CMLL, they're making moves and they're pushing new young talent across the board. That, to me, is what's interesting in wrestling, is not relying on the same, let's call it five guys, uh, to beat on the same path for ten years. I know you can do that, Mm -hmm. but there is such thing as cycling talent in and out, and what... Sure. Let's let's do a little cut back to uh, around the pandemic and just before it. Like I used to be a, a weekly CML watcher, but I wouldn't really cover it on the podcast because it's I don't speak Spanish. It's a, it's it's a different culture. I'm not really used to it. Um, I'm willing to admit those things, uh, anthropologist. <laughs> but the more the more I've I'm I've familiarized myself with or refamiliarized my, myself with. Uh, um, we'll call it the Southern culture. To keep it simple, mm-hmm. the the greatest aspect CML has going for it right now is the new fresh young talent, the constant action, and a very effective way of just saying, I want to beat this guy and take something from him. Whether that's a title, mm-hmm. a mask, pride, the most important thing is winning in the ring. And we'll get to AEW here later where the Continental Classic is getting that feeling back, and that has been a phrase and verbiage going around uh, around AEW right now. And CMLL has that, and they've had it all year. It hasn't been trying to get anything back other than what they lost during the pandemic was their their tourism popularity, uh, was their top stars connecting with the crowd. Uh, They really needed it. It's a promotion that, thrives on crowd interaction and the culture. That's what's connected with me. So the two matches that stood out to me uh, men's-wise, because women's were earlier, Mm -hmm. El Coyote and Guerrero Maya Jr. for the Mexican National Middleweight title. Uh, Yeah, they got a million titles there. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Yeah, oh, no, I know. (laughs) I'm aware. (laughs) So that match stood out to me as good. And then the trios match of Mystico Volador Jr. Mascarada Dorada against Dragon Rojo Jr., who was uh, at the anniversary show lost his mask, uh, teamed with um, Barbaro Cavanario and El Terrible, Mister Terrible. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, good. So those are the two matches. I still need to watch this last Friday show uh, pay per view, okay. but I was at the bowling alley. You know, that's what I do three, four times a week. Yeah. Uh, it's very tough for me to watch uh, live wrestling these days, um, just the sure. way I am, uh, just the way my schedule works. So that's yeah. good. 
And then besides CMLL, I shockingly have been getting into all Japan a little bit more as the year has gone on. No kidding. Okay. Yes. So I must play a drop for them since we're heading in that direction. AJPW. There it is. Okay, so all throughout the year, All Japan Pro Wrestling has been doing a lot of simplistic good moves to gain buzz back into their promotion. And I'm very much on record saying, at le- in terms of worldwide wrestling, and especially in Japan, it's much easier for a men's promotion, especially with a legacy, to gain back notoriety quicker than any women's promotion. Okay? Women, women's sports in general, it's harder. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. And then on top of that, all women's promotions currently in the scene are very young in the relative sense. Uh, they don't have financial mm-hmm. backing. They don't have the stars of the past that can draw anymore at all because of this whole uh, Dark Ages thing. Well, All Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, their biggest issue was not enough young talent. You see a theme here. <laughs> with how promotion can gain buzz, right? It's wild how that works. They didn't have young talent uh, on the rise. Uh, they were trying to push guys that weren't working out, and then Jake Lee. And then when uh, the young talent were finally ready, or they were confident in their skill, they immediately gave them some sort of story and push into a position that they think they're ready for. And that's what's kind of really turned this promotion around, along with them utilizing veterans appropriately. That's very important as well. Uh, Yuji Nagata came in and uh, held the title and eventually lost it, so that kind of gained interest in the promotion. And then as you were going through the undercard, uh, they were certainly building up Yumi Aoyagi for a couple things. Katsuhiko Nakajima has since come into the promotion. Interesting factors keep happening, and they're keeping the buzz. They're not doing everything at once. They're doing every. We'll do this thing in this quarter, this thing in this quarter, this thing in this quarter. Maybe it's worked out that way. Maybe it was by plan. Either way, it's worked. And now, at the conclusion of the Real World Tag League, uh, they also have their tag league going. It ended with Hokuto Omori and Nakajima defeating Kento Miyahara and Yuma Aoyagi. Miyahara and Aoyagi are far and away my tag team of the year it's not close uh they're kind of the only factors that i even considered for tag team of the year this year uh from start to finish uh 20 minute match observer gave it four stars i'm a little higher than that four and a quarter four and a half around there uh Mm -hmm. and the whole story of the tournament was and i and i kind of caught up i i watched what i really just wanted to and was interested in um nakajima not really taking Hokuto Mori as anything more than this like goofy young boy, like that story going on. They end up getting to the finals and winning over Miyahara and Aoyagi. And that goes into Nakajima winning the title from Aoyagi and his future prospects against Miyahara. And now All Japan is also pushing towards like a mystery opponent in their big January show. 
they're making Ooh. a lot of moves and they're simplistic. They're not doing anything overly complicated. It's just simply face this guy, build this guy up. This guy is interesting. Build him up. And now we have a mystery thing with th- with with booking going on in the background involving other characters. And it really gets you wondering uh, what Nakajima's position is in the company. Is he signed? Is he not signed? He's the champion. He has this thing with Miyahara. It's 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 what you call good booking. It's interesting booking <laughs> and it's fresh and there's young talent up and down these things. This is what nice. I'm talking about. CMLL's doing it and AJPW's doing it. And guess what? They're the two promotions with the most positive buzz on them right now other than WWE and their fans uh talking about theirs. Uh when if you're not in the WWE, these are the two promotions you should probably be looking into. Because they're doing things in the right way to keep things from being boring, keeping things interesting. And now you just got to like pick your style. If you're into Lucha, well, CMLL's right there. If you're into the more Puro style, AJPW's right there. So that's what I recommend there. Um, I won't play a New Japan drop because I did finish a good chunk of the tag league. I still, I basically stuck to the main event in the semi-main. More or less, and I'm I'm really sticking with my thoughts here on a lot of it. Is New Japan? I want them to push this young talent, and they're mm-hmm. really taking their sweet fucking time with it. Yeah, they are, and it's very frustrating, especially with people like Will Osprey pulling a Shohei Otani to AEW, except Shohei. I guess was already in LA, so he kind of made the move already. <laughs> mm. You know he's making more than the Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> yes, I did know that. Yeah, it was wild. And then, although, his- so it came out. Well, it came out today that a bunch of it is deferred. Um, he's actually only taking home two million a year while he is playing. Um, because of California tax reasons. So he can earn to he's only taking I say only, but he's taking home two million dollars a year um while he's playing and the rest is deferred. So he can move back to Japan or move to Texas or Florida um and not have to worry about all the crazy income rules that California has. Oh, I got you. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. That's smart business. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's yeah, brilliant. That's it people be. are people are digging in on it, and I'm like, no, that's brilliant. Yeah, and and that's honestly the way it should be. But yeah, his like full contract is worth almost double what the Arizona Coyotes' net worth is as a, as a franchise. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's going to make more in this ten year contract than LeBron James' entire career. But uh, that stuff always yep. ends up happening with decade advancement in in pay. But anyways, New Japan. <laughs> um. Anyway. Yeah, so the interesting thing remained about this tag league was the young talent being featured. But as the tournament went on mm-hmm. and we got to the end of the tier uh, tour, more and more became of what frustrates me about New Japan over the last few years is they have one angle move, and that is ex-babyface joins House of Torture slash Bullet Club. That's their singular right. move. Uh, 
was it done pretty good? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ren Narita uh, leaving the Shibata-like thing behind him, I think, is a good move. But him joining House of Torture, I mean, did it do anything for show? Not really. Uh, did a singular babyface move do anything for Yo? Not really. Still in a junior situation. <laughs> what does that mean for Shota Umino? Well, people are making means of him crying on Twitter. I right. does that. Yep. Does that vibe with the Japanese audience? I don't know. I'm not part of that culture. Maybe they think he's a pussy like us Americans. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, you had Gates of Agony joining House of Torture mm-hmm. slash Bullet Club affiliate or whatever. It was it was the and the more this went on through the tournament with Gates of Agony uh with um war dogs with evil and and his aff- affiliates like it just got grating and i ended up not enjoying it near the end uh e- even when it was just strictly me kind of sticking to semi main and mains everything was still mm-hmm. was still very prevalent and then to get to a finals where it was goto and yoshihashi with you know tiebreakers and stuff on the on the final day Against, can't believe they're calling themselves this, Gorillas of Destiny, Phantasmo, and Hikaleo. Match went 40 minutes. It was good. I went two out of three. I'm like three and three quarters on it. Three and a half. It was 40 minutes. What stands out about the match is El Phantasmo himself against the bag of socks of the three guys that was in front of him. (laughs) Goto and Yoshiashi... They're a good team, but they've won this thing two years in a row. It's clear that New Japan treats the Tag League as a rest period, which is fine. But in terms of importance, it doesn't carry through the rest of the year. And it doesn't... Well, what what I mean is like the next calendar year. And then Phantasmo and Hikaleo being the strong champions, what does that mean for those titles in the future? I Everyone gets the feeling, including myself, that they're going to start unifying the strong titles, which um, probably should be yeah. done. Um, yeah. It was an interesting venture. Pandemic kind of stopped that cold. AEW right. uh, didn't help. Uh, you know, yeah. things don't work out. It's fine. Um, now you get now you get some unification matches out of it, and that's okay. Uh, they even announced the global title, which is, I guess, going to be heard. their new international title, intercontinental, uh. whatever you want to. What do you think of that? Um, I don't, I don't, well, I heard of the title. Tell tell me again what it's, it's not taking place of the world title, right? No, no, no. It's essentially, it's taking the place of the US and UK title that Osprey made and kind of, they've, it looks like they've combined them into a singular name called the global title. Uh, We'll see. Well, I mean, I think it's okay. You'll have a established number two title that has the gimmick of being defended overseas. Now, will this be the Will Osprey title? Maybe. Mm. If I was yeah. AEW, if I was AEW, I'd be like, no, he's our talent now. Uh, don't put that thing on him. Because then that's annoying, and we <laughs> want to push him as our top champion. <laughs> but 
uh, I could totally see Tony Khan and AEW being like, oh, yeah, put your title on him. Then we don't have to worry about booking him in a main event anytime soon, like as a stopgap. Yeah, That's kind of how he operates. Which I don't agree with. You get a top talent like Will Ospreay, you make him a main eventer. You don't push him off to the side and then you can worry about other pet projects. Which I think is a big flaw in AEW right now. Um, more on AEW later. It's more about New Japan. Uh, so we got the global title. We got Tag League. Uh, we have all these kind of moving pieces in the undercard. Uh, how are you feeling? What's your heat factor on Wrestle Kingdom at this point in time now? <laughs> um, honestly, just but not because of any build or anything. Um, I just... I love everything about watching Wrestle Kingdom live. Yep. Okay. Um, in the middle of the night, um, while everybody else is sleeping, but like, there's so many of us that are awake and watching it live and chit chatting on Twitter and whatever else. And I'm almost more excited for that than I am for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love it. I love everything about Wrestle Kingdom. Um, Jason is traveling with me this year, so we get to watch it together this year, which we haven't watched it together in a couple of years. Um, so yeah, maybe, maybe uh, I can I'm really swing looking forward to it. Watch it with as you guys. A, we can do like a live chat thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, we could definitely discuss that. Um, but I'm looking forward to it as an annual event, not because any build has been spectacular. I like how you phrase that. Cause I, I, I'm very much in agreement. I have been dying to watch a Russell kingdom live again and mm -hmm. make, make an event out of it. You know, go to bed early and then wake up, wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, yep. It, it, it definitely feels like we're past kind of the, the waiting out period. And I feel like this Russell kingdom for, Fans like you and I, uh, we need we need some specialty, not moments. That's like a WWE uh, turn of phrase mm -hmm. there. But we need some sense of camarader camaraderie, camaraderie. I've been drinking. Say that for me. <laughs> camaraderie. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I feel like we need that sense as fans together. <laughs> Yes, hundred percent. I love it. It is. It is. That's what I love about watching Wrestle Kingdom live. Is everyone kind of just comes together? Um, I mean, like when you watch a, a an AEW pay per view live, there's a lot of chatter, and it's like almost too much to um, to follow everything and see all of the comments that you want to see. There's fewer people that are going to be watching Wrestle Kingdom live, and so you get you get the you get it from the people you want to see. <laughs> right. You can filter it out. Okay. Uh, that's kind of all I got to say about uh, the non AEW stuff. Uh, what, um, do you, what you got? Anything else? You got some indie stuff, maybe? Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Miracle Generation versus Bang Bros from Freelance Wrestling um, this past weekend 
watch it. They're not called the Bang Bros anymore because whatever, but it's the Bang Bros. Um, <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't imagine why. I mean, what's wrong with it? Well, WWE were calling somebody the Bang Bros for a while, and then they spelled it the same way a porn site was selling it. So now, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, the ba- the actual indie bang bros dropped browsers. the bang bros. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was fantastic. Um, what else? Oh, there was something else over the weekend that um, I hadn't, I haven't watched yet, but I heard a lot of chatter, and now I can't remember. Did you watch Deadlock Pro at all? Deadlock Pro. That's what I really wanted to watch. No, I haven't because. They have their own on demand. And so it's hard to it's hard to consume. That's the Deadlock Pro was the show that I wanted to try to ah, figure out if I could uh yeah, that was the one. Yeah, they just had um, um Emmy Sakura in the main event, uh depending on the title. Know. So they've they've really treated her her well and it's it's just funny how a promotion in south carolina of all places or thereabouts i know um really knows how to focus and push specific talent and bring them in and uh it's it's astounding how much someone like emmy sakura and the various talent that they do that they uh do build up there uh it feels like a true indie and what it's meant to be Uh and i think that's what's missing in a lot beyond all obviously has different uh financial aspects to consider sure fly in front of me that's annoying. i think deadlock deadlock was the one that had um yeah that had workhorsemen versus motor city machine guns which is obviously a dream yeah, match of mine um and yeah i it's uh they have an on-demand service that match hasn't even gone out yet so uh, or that show, excuse me, hasn't even been out yet. So, um, yeah, it looks amazing, though. I want to see it. <sighs> That's a good beverage. Okay. Time to play AEW. Let's do it. You'd think I was going to come on this podcast and not play Riho's music when she makes her annual return to wrestling. <laughs> yeah, look at that. You're dancing. I'm dancing. <laughs> oh, my God. I think I, I mean, I've said it before on the podcast. Like if Riho's music comes on, I cannot sit the fuck still. Like I am just like bouncing, bopping like. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's, it's funny because ever since. I think it was what two years ago when Riho randomly ma- made her annual return, and then the camera cut to like six drunk dudes in the crowd, and their music's going, and they're just flailing their arms in the air. Ah, Rio! <laughs> <laughs> That's how to do it. <laughs> I love it. Now I can't help but do it myself. Uh, yeah, Riho made her return. Yeah. Uh, she's gunning for the title. She's against Ruby Soho this coming Wednesday upon our recording here. 
Okay. Have you been watching Rampage? No. Okay. So did I you even okay. know that I came on this podcast last time basically saying I'm out on AEW. I'm only watching the <laughs> Continental Classic and that's it. And that's what I've done. I caught the Reho thing on Twitter and a bunch of like everything else just scrolling through Twitter. I get the videos. Uh I got AEW on on a laptop in the bowling alley, so there's no audio. I'm just literally watching Continental Classic matches. Oh, oh yeah. Literally, I'm messaging you. I'm like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Like, did you nope. hear what they said? I heard nothing. <laughs> no, yeah. You're just like, what's with this uh, Emmy Sakura, Julie Hart match? Uh, did you did you know the rules? I'm like, nope. <laughs> well, since you brought that up. Okay. Julia Hart is doing House of Black and House Rules matches better than House of Black. Um, she brought back the House of the House Rules or the House of Black rules, whatever. Um, they're back, so there's like no rope breaks. There's no whatever. There's like all of the House of Black rules, and then the uh, opponent gets to pick one rule, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. I will which, say this. Which the men, which let me let me just finish my thought. Okay. The men have been floundering their picking of a rule. Um, they've said like, you know, so and so can't be by ringside. One team was like, we don't even need a rule. Like, what the fuck? Like yeah. that is so Kinda dumb. Lame. So Emmy, because she is a brilliant technician, said no submissions can end the match because that's how Julia has been winning with her new, uh, I can't remember what she calls it. Heartbreaker heart. Yeah. Or I like don't know. Butterfly submission deal. Yeah. Whichever it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So Emmy goes, Nope. Can't win the match with that. And I'm like, that is genius. <laughs> yeah. The, the common critique of that match in general was, uh, it just makes the wrestlers look dumb, but that shit doesn't bother me because wrestlers are dumb jocks in my mind to begin with. They're wrestlers. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not everyone can be Jake, the, Jake True. the Snake Roberts in the ring where these they're these uh, cerebral workers. Uh, True. Or Kurt Hennig. Those are like the two guys in my head that uh, work that in that particular. Fa- we'll get to Kurt Hennig wrestling later. <laughs> <laughs> but. You know, now that you mentioned, I have still stuck to my women's matches. I am a fan of women's wrestling. Can't help myself. Uh, so I guess I'm still watching. What would you say? 70% of the show. Okay. Pretty much. Um, but the Continental Classic match is kind of what I'm here for. Unless uh, you got other things you want to bring up. Um, what a, oh. I was asking about Rampage because I was wondering if you even knew that they were doing a Ruby Soho Angelo Parker storyline. I know of the storyline happening and I'm not thrilled with it. You know, I mean, it's all on Rampage. So if you're not consuming the product, it's hard to. Well, it's not because it was on a dynamite when Ruby Soho fell into his arms and that went into a match and I was like, ugh. But in I mean it doesn't pass the bed shell test, but <laughs> but I think it's okay. 
Um, they're, they're cute together. I like. You, you know, chemistry. you know, you know what I will say in a positive sense is, if it's been mostly developing on Rampage, I think. Okay, let me start over. There's been a lot of podcasts I've been listening to lately uh, where everyone's trying to break down what's wrong with AEW right now. Like, what are they missing? Why are they only drawing 2,000 fans in Erie, Pennsylvania? Why aren't they drawing well enough in uh, Quebec uh, when they can top out at 5,000? They had 2,000 for a collision. Like, all these, all these, all these things. I've heard they don't tell stories. We know that's not true. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. they tell too many stories of anything. Uh, I've heard one argument I think is interesting is the aspect of uh, you don't know what stars are going to be on which show. And WWE-centric fa- fans will say you have to have a brand split. I don't agree with that. I think that's asinine, to be honest. Agree. Agree. If you have featured wrestlers that are weekly on shows, then you know, then the fan can know to tune in because they know they'll see them. You don't need to say, you don't need to say collision blue and dynamite gold or something, even though we're doing mm-hmm. that with the uh, continental classic. <laughs> uh, so if we do, if we do aspects like that, I agree with where we need to know who's on which show. And when and how often? To me, that's, I mean, people watch the L.A. Lakers because, A, it's the Lakers, and then, B, because LeBron James is on the team, right? Mm-hmm. You watch AEW because of Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, Danielson, but you don't know exactly when they're going to be on often enough, and there's no guarantee. So now fans are left with, Hey, my show the, the show's coming to town. Do I need to buy a ticket now? Well, no, cuz I don't know who's going to be there. And you're 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 basically left with because it's not a hot ticket anymore. That's factual. Right? Right? So you're left with waiting for deals to come up until it gets cheap enough where you pull the trigger or you wait till the last minute and the full card's announced. And these are aspects that right. AEW has gotten away from at least in terms of marketing their shows. Uh, that's why we got. That's why I got so frustrated, and you got frustrated with how they built up the Continental Classic, how they announced it, and wouldn't it be awesome if we knew who was facing who, when, who? in which weeks? Um. Yes. Yes. Because then you're guaranteed as a fan to know. I will buy my ticket or tune in on this day because these matches mm-hmm. are happening. And I think the Continental Classic has been very good so far. Uh-huh. I don't think the matches are peaking as desired, but I st- I have ranked every single match on my match guide in the Continental Classic. Yeah. And that's yeah, important. Yeah. Exactly. I have generally enjoyed what I'm seeing from what this is putting out. You might say I've put my fucking money where my mouth is. <laughs> Maybe. 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 Yeah. Uh, what, what? I mean, there's there's a bunch of like asinine things about AEW that uh, have been going around, and those are, I think, a lot of 
ignorance and uneducated opinions. A lot of them. Not saying all of Mm -hmm. them, but a lot of them. And a lot of it stems from normality and comparing it to WWE. And the normality is just what's popular and the most normal in, let's call it, wrestling culture, right? And that's a lot of that stems from WWE. What is What will work? Well, WWE is the number one. WWE is hot in their own sense right now. Clearly, that's the working formula. We must do that. And for AEW, that is not a working formula, and it's proven to be a formula that uh, X is not the factor that you need uh, to get your to get your endpoint. Okay, those that's that's my opinion on that matter. So you, I don't, I don't get, I don't get it. So you're trying to fill in. Uh, the, the formula in my head, this probably didn't uh, sound very well, but okay, the formula yeah, in my head no. is WWE <laughs> is the X factor in order to be successful, to be the en- the the end of your equation. You're trying okay. you're trying to th- success is the end of your equation. And what is that X factor you need? And too often people look at and people in the industry look at what what like everyone wants to be Apple, but you can't be Apple but you constantly try to copy them and then that will yeah. in their minds make make success well got it time and time again the actual success comes from being different <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say yeah sorry yeah i got it okay okay all right continental classic favorite matches yeah what you got so far um, and who are your, who are your, um, let's see, they're doing the top two in each league is what they're doing. Okay. So Swerve and Mox are the only two wrestlers to have nine points and they're in the same league and they're facing each other this week as we sit here and record and I cannot yeah. wait. Do you think Hell this yeah. is going to be the first draw? Oh, that's interesting. Um, no, because I think if they do a draw, that would cause too much complications in the math in a kayfabe mm-hmm. answer. I agree. Yeah, in a kayfabe answer, uh, the draw would kind of like makes that would make the most most sense. Right. If I'm picking a winner, Eileen Moxley. Okay. Um, I honestly don't know who wins that match. I didn't know who was going to win the... What was the Danielson? Oh, the Danielson-Andrade match. I couldn't call it. I thought Andrade might win. I was like, I don't know. Are they going to do it? Yeah, their match and went sure uh, enough, um, 18 and a half minutes. That's what. That's how long that went. Yeah. Uh, that one was very, very good. I really liked that. Uh, that might be my favorite match, actually, so far. Andrade Danielson, really? It might be. Or no. Uh, um, wait. Yeah, yeah. Andrade, da- Andrade um, Danielson. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. That's my favorite match of the CC so far. It is? 
Wait, yeah. you were surprised when I said it, and now you're like, wait, I take it back. <laughs> well, when I, I was like, oh, what other matches reached that level? And the best one I came up with was Danielson Kingston. And the factor that does it for mm-hmm. me and why I liked Andrade Danielson more was the selling of the eye and the absolute uh, like yes. targeting. And I was like, that's what I like in my uh, wrestling. And I wish, <laughs> I mean, you see it in hockey, especially if you watch like a Florida Panthers mm-hmm. game these days where you see these guys on the Panthers pick a dude, right? And they're doing their utmost to go. That guy has a weak point. I'm going to fucking barrel into him. And then the other team's going to be pissed off because I'm exploiting their like weakness. And it's such a like goon 70s, 80s hockey tactic that it aggravates the other team. And look, the Panthers have won like fucking what? 10 of their last 11 games. They're second in the East while I'm watching the avalanche get bowled over left and right, (laughs) lost five of their last six. They can't defend worth shit. They're, weak on the ice and I'm like man Florida Panthers are playing dirty but the W's are there and the Avs are playing well clean hockey and they're getting rolled over like so you gotta be physical and yeah Andrade Danielson that's what did it for me It it was a targeting physicality that we don't get to see too often uh, I wish we saw it more uh, to be honest, this uh, that matched yeah. it a lot for me. Yeah, you're right. I, I was surprised at first, and then the 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 two seconds I gave thought <laughs> it turned me around. Because <laughs> I did give it a three out of three, but I was still like Kingston Danielson better because of all the emotion that was involved. And I'm like, you know what? No, I want some fucking meat. Uh, getting getting thrown over the uh, <laughs> what analogy is going through my head? There's a lot of it going on. yeah i did see um danielson garcia now tell me your thoughts on that because there's there's a lot of opinions going around on garcia during this tournament which again goes into aw is not telling stories i'm like are you watching the cc (laughs) are you watching the tournament yeah um all of daniel uh all of Garcia's matches have been excellent. I mean, which is not a shocker. He is phenomenal. Um, but the story they're telling is the real thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a good in-ring story that meshes with the character. And you can hear Matt Menard and company on commentary. It's like, hey, what are you doing, brother? Yeah. What are you doing, bro? <laughs> You're going to do right, the dance? Don't right. do the dance. That's how you look. Oh, he's back. He's do- Oh, he gets need. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah, Mark Britt. So Garcia is the big baby face that's losing all the matches in Blue League. And then Mark Briscoe's the big baby face losing all the matches in Gold League. They're both out. And uh, Lethal's out. And his story is he can't win without the Jeff Jarrett com- commission. Right. Uh what does that mean for Jay Lethal? I don't know. It's it's definitely the least interesting story of the of the blocks, but it's a story none the least, uh, nonetheless, mm-hmm. uh, which yeah. is fine. So that leaves us with uh, Moxley Strickland undefeated. We got White hanging in the background. He still has a chance, although he did lose the Strickland, uh, which is proving important. 
and Roosh has two losses. So unless some wacky math comes, and I was against this at first, where two winners or the the top two in each block face each other, but with American culture and playoffs, and simply making a top of the table, uh, I think vibes well with people more. So the more I became more accepting of it. And then now that we're in all, all these scenarios, I'm into it. I'm into the top two finishing. I, I do still prefer a winner take all scenario. You, you're the best in the league, you win. Mm -hmm. And then we get to, you know, it's, it's very, uh, baseball used to be that way. American league versus national league winner period. Right. That's what yep. you get. Uh, but over time, the, the culture has certainly changed with how we perceive and look at block. Now, if we got like half the field or more than half the field making it, now we got a problem. I hate that. That's why I hate mm -hmm. the current NHL uh, bracket setup. And I certainly hate the NBA playoffs playoff bracket. It's insane when all you have to do is not be the like the five worst teams in the NBA and you get a chance at the right. final. Get the fuck out of here. Then why are we playing the regular season? Right. Right. Baseball is coming close. It's, it's it's getting there. Right. So this Continental Classic has got me back into a big sports mindset. And I think here's mm -hmm. a here's a comment. I think doing more things like this. will get more sports oriented people into wrestling. And I think that's an audience yeah. that's worth chasing. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't. I mean, yeah. You nailed it. What do you think Claudio Castanoli's uh, tournament? He's he's an interesting one because he's also got two losses, <laughs> one to King and one to Kingston. So anyone named King, uh, he's done. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, every time I see him in the ring, I'm just astounded at his size. I mean, that, that man is enormous, and it's like... <laughs> You didn't strong. notice it. <laughs> you didn't notice it in WWE because everybody is huge in WWE. Um, in AEW, it is very obvious that Claudio is an enormous human. <laughs> and it's so impressive. And he is so charismatic. And he is so... Ugh. Yeah. Give him everything. <laughs> um, I like the story he's telling, though. I do. A um, couple losses. Losing to Eddie was phenomenal. Um, oh. A couple, couple roll-up finishes, uh, but they, they tied it back in together in past matches, so I'm, I'm good that, that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do want to drop in that um, I successfully avoided spoilers for that match, even though it was recorded on Tuesday. Um, I avoided spoilers until I watched... Evil Uno's mystery wrestling and Evil Uno spoiled it on commentary <laughs> because Eddie Kingston showed up at mystery wrestling. <laughs> it was fucking great. It was fucking great. But, uh, oh man, that was a super, oh, sorry to go back to indie shows. That was so much fun to watch the matches. Some of them were, uh, there were like one or two that were like, you know, like good quality matches, but it was just so fun. It was very like Lucha Libre laughs mm -hmm. kind of 
uh, kind of show, tons of surprises. I mean, they were so AW had been in Montreal, so I had a feeling that there would be a ton of uh, AW people on the yeah, card, yeah. which there were. Um, it was just so fun. <laughs> well, as it stands right now, I think Strickland and Moxley are going to come down to uh, the top two in the Gold League. Um, uh-huh. White could certainly spoil something. Yeah. Well, uh, that Jay White Moxley match is super interesting. All right, so, uh, I'll save that thought for later. I'm I'm sticking with uh, Moxley Strickland <laughs> one two. That's what I'm going with. Um, yeah. I think they're building oh, yeah, up Moxley Strickland for sure yeah. on that side. Yeah, I think they're building up Moxley Danielson, but I've seen a lot of. Naito-esque theories here with Kingston. The fact that he lost two in a row and then he'll come back and get like second place in Blue League and then end up winning the thing. That's a real possibility. No doubt. Uh, The cards seem to be Mm -hmm. falling that way. Uh, Now, Brody King is the factor that needs to be considered and so is Andrade where they both started with two straight wins. And... Andrade still has Kingston, Brody King, and Casanoli. So, to me, that Andrade uh, Brody King match is no, yes, yeah, Andrade Brody King. Um, mm-hmm. That's the one that's really piqued my interest uh, going forward because that'll I think that'll determine a lot in Eddie Kingston's future. And then where Danielson went, ends up because he's only got King and Casanoli left. I think he'll beat Brody King, take him down a peg. And then the Casanoli match is will Casanoli play spoiler? But he's also got two wins, and that's a I, huge match for him. The, the booking of the tournament has certainly uh, come into a good focus where now we have all these scenarios and I think it's going to gain more steam. The more people pay attention to it over the next couple weeks. Uh, I I think it's been done well in the tournament, especially with all those backstage interviews. They need to put put that shit on dynamite. uh, All those backstage interviews on collision ramp mm-hmm. they just need to every second they can cuz this is this is the most important thing on all the shows going on is the cc get every yep. promo you can on tv period yep 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 okay uh so blue league yep. i'm leaning danielson and eddie kingston i think they'll do the cinderella story with him as the top two there. With Eddie? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you have to keep Eddie in the mix just because the title, putting the titles on the line. Even if he doesn't win the whole thing, which I don't think he will. You think he's going to win the whole thing? I think he should lose the finals. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. I think he should lose the finals, where he gets all the to, way to the end. He does this big Cinderella story. Oh, Moxley would work. 
right? Moxley would work. Like Swerve would be great, but I think Mox is I want the Swerve and I want Swerve in the AEW title picture. That's what I need. Same. Same. I That's don't want like, like I don't um, want him to win the CC, as weird as it sounds. I think I think for AEW's future, it's it's better for Strickland to not win this and then yeah. go for the AEW title and win that. If he doesn't Done. win the Love title, it. we got an we got a problem. Because then he should have won this. <laughs> like Strickland yeah. needs like I say needs like he, he's his career's over, but uh in my mind coming off the death match, he needs to take the next step in his career is what I'm saying. What path that right. is, I don't know. That's what we'll have to wait and see. All right, let's talk about WCW. Let's get this going. One last. We thing. have to. Yeah, we. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. I admit. That's that's stupid. <laughs> WCW Nitro, February twenty eighth. Year 2000. Well, Ricky, we're in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 4,600 people in attendance in a boom period of wrestling, and yet they're under 5,000. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> they're falling quick. They're falling quick. So we have, uh, we have a lot of shit happening on these shows. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's the to- the chosen one, and he's got the stroke. How you feeling, Slapnuts? <laughs> oh, lordy. Yeah, you don't hear that enough every so show, much. do you? <clears throat> um, I don't know. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, that part I don't, I don't hate. Okay. Well, what I do hate is this immense video package and recaps of all the. Oh my god! I can't follow any of it. No. Like, there's so much stuff that happens on Nitro, the pay per view. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's Thunder, which feels like I miss months of shows, and and yet it's only been days. Right. And it's it's just every like they can't concentrate on like two things. It's got to be 20 things. So I retain nothing. It's it's impossible <laughs> to retain any of this. Right. So we constantly get to like Kevin Nash. and He's cutting dad jokes. Very cringe. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Jarrett's the chosen one. We got Flair and Hogan doing their 1990 shtick again. And then oh God. Oh randomly God. we begin the show. This seems random. Uh they're building this thing up all night with random interviews of just random wrestlers, mostly jobbers, of what Ooh. do you think of Tank Abbott, the undefeated <laughs> UFC machine against Sid Vicious? Are they calling him Sid Justice now though? No. Okay. I don't know where you got that from. I didn't catch it. If well, they are, Sid Justice is his baby face it. persona. Sid Vicious is the heel. And he's clearly a baby face. 
I don't know. Maybe it's in my head. Neither. So they're building up Tank Abbott going for the title against Sid Vicious. And they're asking wrestlers throughout the show, who do you think's going to win? And everyone basically goes with Sid Vicious because he's the wrestler with the experience. And I'm like, okay, whatever. (laughs) I mean, they're asking like Lodi and uh, Lodi. No, they asked, uh, did they ask? They asked Haku at one point. Did you ask Haku? Yeah. My God. And he's, and he's speaking normal. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) So there's that thing. That's your, that's your, uh, main event is Tank Abbott going for the title against Sid Vicious. And then Jeff Jarrett actually says something very credible. I will I, I will give okay. credit. I will give credit. He goes, I have my contract signed by, he doesn't say the powers that be, because I don't think Vince Russo's back, but Ed Ferrara's still there. Not quite. And he goes, I have my contract for uncensored sign for the world title. Doesn't matter what happens in the main event. They could go out there and kill each other. Who cares? Tank Abbott, bum, Sid Vicious, whatever, he'll win. And I'm like, okay, cool. <coughs> they established immediately that there doesn't need to be interference by the NWO, the C-Squad at this point, Jeff Jarrett, mm-hmm. in this main event because his motivations are signed and delivered. Now, what does need to be impli- or, uh, implied, uh, taken care of on the show is the Harris brothers, NWO, want their tag titles. And over the last two weeks, including this week, uh, the tag champions, the Mamelukes, are not ducking them, but they're doing tag title matches against other people. And the Harris brothers are doing their big finisher across the tag division uh, throughout the shows. Ricky? Harris brothers... Interfered in every single match on okay. this card except for the main event. Every single match. Yes. It was too much. <laughs> they could have gotten it done in uh, just the Mama Luke's match, but they had to do it throughout yep. the show. The I think the motivations were sound. I think the story was good, but it wasn't executed very well. And I'm like, oh, they were so close. That seems to be a... Yeah. Seems to be a theme throughout this partic- this particular episode of Nitro. I didn't hate because I'm like, oh, a lot of these things make sense because you can mm-hmm. tell Vince Russo is involved. <laughs> right. It just wasn't, it, you know, it it just wasn't up to par. Because um, because even then we had Hogan and Flair building up a. I gotta ask, what did you hear? What kind of strap match it was? What Indian tribe were they referencing? Oh, I have no idea. Something racist. I don't know. So, I had to look it up. Because I'd never heard of them before. Okay. I kept I kept hearing Yapapai Indians. And I'm like, Yapapai? I don't... I look it up and it autocorrects to Yavapai. Which is like an offset, maybe not Apache tribe in like Arizona. And I go, are they building okay, up? But they're in Minnesota. They're right. in Minnesota. <laughs> right. Are they building up an Indian tribe strap match that isn't in Minnesota where there's 
Look, I lived in Upper Michigan Tons for a while. Of Native American. There's yeah. so many tribes that you could reference up there alone. Right. Instead of they're they're talking about Yavapai Indians in Arizona <laughs> for this particular strat match. But hey, that's why they call the, it an Indian strat why, match. Yeah, the reason why I didn't hear um, what tribe they were talking about is because I don't understand a word that comes out of Ric Flair's mouth or Hulk Hogan's um, for that matter. Or Hogan's. Um, why do they yell all the time? They have microphones. Like, I don't understand the yelling. So this was a uh, concept popularized in the <laughs> 80s. Uh, I know, yeah. I know. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm being snarky, but like. I mean, you feel the energy, but if they're if, don't like. Have yeah it's it's a technique but the thing is like i always say this and i was taught this very young uh junior high when it comes to public speaking and trying to convince your audience you need to bring an energy and interest to you that will draw the audience to you right it works in all forms of public speaking whether that's comedy whether that's debate etc you get the idea and when it comes to Hogan and Ric Flair, for example, when they do this yelling and energetic uh, promo, you get into it. Okay. Do you understand most of the things they're saying? Do Maybe you, not. I mean, do I you did. get into it. Yeah. I, a lot yeah. of people do. That's what they, that's what it is. Okay. I, I know I am late to the game and I don't have any nostalgia for Hogan or flair like and this is already 15 20 years too late like in in 2000 we're already 15 20 years too late um <laughs> for the heyday <clears throat> but i just i do not understand the appeal especially hogan like i don't what is this guy selling what is this brand <laughs> i don't it, well it just if we want to make a modern comparison it is just uh, MJF, yeah. he does a lot of this where he, but his delivery is what makes the difference. And that's the thing. When he okay. ramps up the energy in his promos, like the promo that I, I saw on, on Twitter and post, uh, where he's talking about, where he's building up Samoa Joe and he's talking about his injuries. And it, then he picks up the energy when he says he's going to win. That's important. While Hogan, he's just from the get-go because he's got like 90 seconds to talk, right? Ric Flair, he's got like 90 seconds to talk. In this modern era, the new strategy is you got to be out there for like 15 minutes. So you got to monologue. And that's where it's different from the past of the modern game. Uh, and that's like a very Triple H WWE early 2000s thing is you got you to, gotta, I mean, that's what South Park made fun of, right? Uh, when it when it comes to this in the past, and we're talking about 2000 here with these Ric Flair and Hogan promos of of building up this strap match, they're taught like Hogan's key was he saw Jimmy Hart on his deathbed, basically telling him Hogan, get the strap, brother, beat up Ric Flair, and then Ric Flair's in the ring going, woo, I got a strap, Hulkamania is dead. It's very 1980s, right? I get it. I I imagine. No, 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 no. 
I do not believe. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I cannot. No, 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 no. I do not believe that audiences 35 years ago were that less sophisticated than modern <laughs> audiences. I refuse to believe it. Well, they were I stars. They were stars I in the eighties. I do 80s. not get it. Okay, I'll why put it, I'll put, I'll put Why it were they way. stars in the eighties? What it, was the appeal then? It, well, that is what I'm saying. That that's that's what cultural studies are for. It 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 vibed with the audience. That's what it. That's what the eighties were all about. That's what the seventies were all about. And then <sighs> when you cut to the nineties and early two thousands, we'll put a stop there because that's where we're at now. Uh, the people in the eighties were still. 30, 40, 50 years old at that point. And then you also had a bunch of 10-year-olds, okay? Also watching wrestling. Teenagers. Got into this. Very different demographic than what's going on today in the sense where it's a, it's it's now the last 20 years and people that are way over the Attitude Era. Times have okay. changed. And deliveries right. have changed. And connecting with the audience has changed. Uh, look at us breaking down WCW from a different perspective rather than we just hate the show. Uh, Mama Luke's defeat 2XS uh, with oh my God. Um, yeah. Miss, Miss Hancock dancing on the table, shortening up the skirt. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Look, she's it, got okay. legs, girl. So I wrote, okay, no, 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 no. This is great. This is great. Uh, the first thing I wrote in my notes was Disco sucks, but Stacey Keebler rules. Um... Yeah, that was a problem. Um, although Jason actually watched this episode with me, and obviously oh, no. didn't mind it too much. Um, it's actually not the worst episode it. of the year. It, so it, it, it no no no, it, and the the thing that I said to Jason while because he was only watching like passively, right? Um, the thing is. They WCW knows what they're doing and they're not, they're not, they know they're playing like this segment specifically. They know this is lowest common denominator stuff and they don't try to hide it. Like, oh my God. Uh, it just is what it is. But, uh, however, <laughs> <laughs> like sex sells, we all know this. It's, it's propaganda one-on-one, right? Sure. That's what you learn in yep. fucking what high school i think that's where i learned propaganda and all that sure uh so what's happening in the late 90s is raunchiness okay right uh, there's definitely better words out there but you know i got my i got my pilsner here hold on um i mean they're fucking Talking about spring break and going to uh, oh. South Padre Island throughout the show. They got Ricky Rackman and yeah. Disco Inferno, like terrible segments throughout the show. Like, Ricky, I grew up in Houston. I've been to South Padre for spring break a few times. Okay. <laughs> it okay. is uh, what it's cracked out to be. It's a it's a good time. And there's. Let's just put it this way. The 2 a.m. infomercials of uh, Girls Gone Wild, South Padreati. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Real thing. Uh, very much just out there in the open. This was the 90s. So 
Miss Hancock, Stacy Kleebler dancing on the table and getting on there, um, distracting uh, Liz, Miss Elizabeth being hit on by Buff Bagwell, and then getting actually, I kind of like that story, honestly. With the, yeah, that one was okay, actually. Yeah, the the douchebag hitting on a girl and then the man yeah, sticking up for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Lex Luger's yeah. the heel. In I the, mean, it's. But. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> It's kind of backwards, but you know, um, you would think Lex Luger would be like hitting on someone random and then Liz gets upset and goes, Hey, go beat him. Anyways, uh, you have Jeff Jarrett being courted by a million hot women. You have Kevin Nash in background segments, uh, particularly in the, in the beginning with hot nurses. Like it's just hot women up and down the show. Uh, no women's matches on the show, by the way. Um, I don't think we've watched a single episode with a women's match. Oh, do you not remember Rhonda Singh and Oklahoma no, and Medusa I... coming out dressed as uh, L.A. Park? Is that no? the show from last week that I didn't yeah. watch? Yeah, yeah, that would be. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, no, Medusa is the only woman that I've seen actually wrestle yeah since since i started watching wcw since i started watching wcw with you medusa is the only woman i've actually seen get in the ring and she's only wrestled men it's wild but what what's what's trying to happen and what is happening in uh with women in wrestling at this time is you're hot you're going to be on screen and you're going to be a sex object period there's nothing else to it and it's a shame because also in Japan going on right now, uh, the economy's in the shitter and women's wrestling is going into the shitter already at this point, uh, especially in 2000. It's who, real bad. Who were the big women in WWE and in Japan at this time? So in WWE, or was there in, women's wrestling? Yeah, in WWE, you had China still, uh, I think, at this point in time. You had Trish Stratus, Lita, uh, Sable. You had those. Well, Sable might have been gone at okay. this point already. Uh, but you get the idea there. In Good, Jap- but they're wrestling. They're actually wrestling. Well, I mean, they're probably three-minute matches, right? But they're wrestling? They're 90-second matches. There's panty matches, uh, mud matches. They're, they're not, quote-unquote, wrestling. Right? Okay. And in Japan, a lot of the companies are in financial crisis. Places are closing up, opening up, uh, back and forth. Um, it's just it's just not a healthy scene, like in any particular way. It's 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 real bad. Uh, anyways, so <laughs> WCW they're promoting Uncensored 2000. Jeff Jarrett, Sid Vicious. Uh, we get Booker and Kidman. And from here oh, on oh, out, oh, from here okay, on wait, out, wait, hang on, hang on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, from here on I out, was, the Harris okay. twins just DQ every well, This is my problem. Okay. This is my problem. I was cautiously optimistic about Kidman and Booker because they're two of the best workers that I've seen since I started watching WCW. So I was cautiously optimistic about that match and it was 
Okay, it might have been better than okay. But 90 seconds into the match, the Harris brothers come out and cause a DQ. <laughs> and that's a major issue with WCW continuing in this time is, and you can see it in the crowd, the wrestling matches do not matter. They last no yeah, time. And eventually, more often than not, they'll just end in a DQ or some shit. Uh, and what drives what 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 actually drove me nuts was the which match was it? It was the Vampiro Jeff Jarrett match for the U.S. title that was randomly oh. booked. <laughs> and we have the Harris brothers running in that match. Vampiro oh. fights him off. No DQ. They're in the match. They're charging at him. Well, the ref was distracted. No, he was this one. in there looking at the guy fight him in the ring. And Vampir- the, the, the quote-unquote excuse is, well, they didn't touch him. They still got involved, and they were in the ring. That's what's the most annoying. And then Sid Vicious comes out, and I know we skipped over half the show here, but it's it's a bunch of worthless <laughs> trash that. Uh, yeah, no, no. I, okay, so so I uh, I don't even oh I don't even know we are talking way too much about WCW, but we're doing a really interesting like uh, anthropological deep dive. <laughs> Um, yeah, the culture of the nineties. So, yeah, <laughs> no. Well, the culture of the nineties, but also the culture of wrestling and sports entertainment. So, I think the the thing that's going on here is um, the these late nineties, early two thousands. This is the this is shock value TV. That's it. Car crash. Yeah. It's it's coined yeah, yeah. it's, it's been coined car car crash television. Yes, exactly. Um, the thing is, I feel like because because it is car crash television, and because um, there is little to no focus on the actual wrestling when this is supposed to be a wrestling show. This is kind of why current fans of the WWE product that don't consume other wrestling. I'm not saying all WWE fans. I'm saying that goes into our last podcast discussion. Yeah. 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 Fans that don't consume other wrestling. Yeah. It, this is what this has evolved into because they always say, uh, or the, the discussion that I've seen around these WWE fans that don't consume other wrestling is that it's more about the stories and they want to see the drama and they want to see this and the and the and the wrestling even though it is a wrestling show it's a side note it's a b reason to watch um is this the start of it oh absolutely the attitude era is the start of all this completely okay. this is where it turned around and people think that because this was the peak of wrestling peak right uh mm -hmm. this is the direction they need to go this is what that formula i uh poorly told earlier in the show is is about it's it's you have your x factor 
right? Your 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 x derivative that you want to hit mm-hmm. to get to your end equation that equals success. Okay, and in in everyone's mind, this is this is the peak, and that's what you want. So when I'm when when I'm when I'm consuming this old WCW and we're we're doing this and we're talking. Uh, even comparing to modern WWE and uh, the aspects of AEW that I think are failing, uh, and the coldness of the company, and uh, I, I honestly think the Continental Classic is helping this company out, and it's it's not going to be seen overnight because they've lost a lot of faith with the company. Because uh, if you look at the audiences over over the or over 2023, they started sitting on their hands more. You delve more into mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. Attitude Era. WWE, uh, WCW stuff where the wrestling is secondary, that that's your end result. You get things where it's just people looking to the back for interference, looking to the front for some sort of dramatic love story or what have you that's going on, rather than the two guys in the ring trying to win a sports competition. Uh, right. A true alternative well, okay. would be going that route. <laughs> yeah. So when I first, and now we're faring way off track, but when I first started watching wrestling, um, I think I've mentioned this on the show before. The first thing that I watched was a tournament. It was the WCPW, the What Culture Pro Wrestling World oh, Cup tournament. I like that one. In the summer was, of 20, That was, that the, was the same one with uh, Volter and Zack Sabre Jr., right? Yeah, it sure was. Yeah, it was. Um, that is the very first wrestling that I consumed, and Pumping for that reason, right what now, culture? Probably. Hell yeah! For that reason, <laughs> what culture is still really important to me. Those guys are really important to me. Um, also, to share some some personal stuff. At that point um, in my life, Jason and I were uh, living separately, um, and it was the WCPW World Cup that brought us kind of back together like wrestling literally saved our relationship um and that's like i'm not even exaggerating um it was something that brought us together and um for that reason i'm always going to look to those guys but um after consuming all of this really phenomenal in-ring stuff where there were stakes right like it is a world mm-hmm. cup so it's a single eliminator tournament um i wanted to consume more wrestling and i did consume a whole lot more indie stuff um that is how i discovered you know bullet club and do- dove into new japan and the young yep. bucks and and everything it all came from that tournament i'm so grateful for it um but i wanted to see what wwe was doing at that point, I mean, I, I had never watched wrestling before, and WWE was the thing that I had heard of. So I watched SummerSlam 2017. Where was I going with this train of thought? <laughs> totally just lost my end, my destination. Oh, I know. <clears throat> <clears throat> hey, Ridley so- Fretrocast. We drink, we have a good time, we talk about wrestling. Who gives a shit, right? <laughs> okay, no, 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 I know where I was going. I know where I was going. Okay. I tried to tell a math formula that failed earlier. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay, I know where I was going, though. 
where I was going was with these stories in WWE and they're like, yeah, I want to have the title or whatever, because that's what I want. Even as a new fan, maybe because I was a new fan, I just was like, why though? Like, why is that important? Like, why, why is any, why is winning any of these matches important to you? Especially with like the weekly WWE television where like there's no ranking and you just put together matches haphazardly, um, earn a, and there's an automatic else that I was just like, why does any of this matter to you? Like, what is the point? And that's what I liked about W when it started. Yeah, there were stakes, it's, right? It's it's funny you mention that because I paid loose attention to the in season tournament. Terrible name, by the way, uh, for the NBA. Uh, I oh, wanted, fuck. To, yeah, I want to see Utah Jazz do well. They started off, and what I thought was lacking was the players going on uh, these radio shows and telling them, like, yeah, this is this is a spirit of competition. I want to win this. Uh, and instead I saw a product where, yes, there was physicality and it's the most interesting the beginning of the, se- the NBA season has been in years. But with the combination of the name, the courts that looked absolutely crap. Which oh my God, they were so hard to watch. I, I can't, yeah. I, I just couldn't watch, couldn't watch the games. Um, not really. Without just having this visceral reaction to it it was is <laughs> anyways i needed well we can get into basketball i can talk about basketball now that the nuggets are good <laughs> nuggets have Jokic. they'll they'll be good for a while um and murray's really good too uh but in terms of the tournament i don't think they I mean, it was. It still was a success. I think it was still a rousing success. I think they did everything they could to not make it that way, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, very much like a WCW-esque uh, aspect. They tried to make it different rather than trying to better it. Uh, yep. The... Like, if... I'm in between like three, three or four thoughts here. Well, uh, I guess just to roll it back to WCW. We're watching these matches. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're watching these matches throughout the show. None of them matter. It's very clear. And fans are sitting on their hands. And it's also very clear that the culture in the fa- in the fandom at this time is simply, I'm going to a wrestling show because it's a party. Right, which, which is a thing. I, it, I totally. don't. That's, that's fine because it that's was the fine. cool thing to do. It was in the culture of the time, which means it yeah. was successful. You have broken into the culture. That's extremely important in any uh, aspect of society. Why do you think K-pop has broken into the culture worldwide? Sure. It, it, it's it's very yeah. much how. Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears broken in the early 2000s and all these things like every generation has a cultural 
finish line that you got to cross, 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 cross mm-hmm. in order to uh, get to that point. And wrestling has not had that since the 90s. And it's always chasing it uh, rather than it's trying to chase what it used to be rather than what is in what is popular in the culture now. And unfortunately, I think NXT in WWE is kind of hitting on that a little bit. Yeah. And even though yeah. I hate it, it's 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 clearly getting into that in an aspect that AEW is not. WWE has gotten into it. Now, it's WWE, very easier to break into that. AEW needs to either find their T-Mobile, if you will. Cuz being team if you're T-Mobile in this universe, you're a fucking successful and it doesn't matter you do your thing and you're fine if you're trying to reach apple level you're gonna have to try to break into the culture and what does that mean i don't have that answer to that nobody does what does it take are you gonna get fucking blackpink out of your shows (laughs) and have them wrestling in matches maybe that'll work i don't know (laughs) is that a reference that just gone over your head no no i know blackpink yeah all right but that's like Fuck, I know Blackpink. <laughs> Damn. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Like that's the stuff. Like WWE getting Bad Bunny and and Logan Paul and all these. That's what's breaking into a little bit of the culture and and hitting into it. When when we watch these WCW shows with all the scantily clad women and all these dramatic mm. like love stories going on, it's going into that like Jerry yeah. Springer aspect of society. Oh, but they're yeah, bad at thing it. Then. Yeah. They're bad at it. And that's what's yeah. that's what's no, pushing the audience you're, away. You're right. They're they're hitting these cultural touchstones. They're trying that's, to. That's that's Well, uh, yeah. I You know, when I'm watching how bad this stuff is in 2023, because I didn't experience it at the time, I'm like forgetting what the world was like then. So this conversation has absolutely reshaped the way I view WCW in 2000. Because I have to look through it, look at it through the 2000 right. cultural lens. Yeah, I mean, so it's we still got bad. I mean, don't get no, me wrong. It's, it's, it's fucking terrible. garbage. It's terrible. It's garbage. It was bad at the time. That's why they lost all the audiences. Yeah. We got characters right. like Prince Iakea, uh ripping off the prince, right? The prince. The prince. prince. No, the prince. prince. I re- refuse to say he was prince <laughs> or the artistly <laughs> artistly artist formerly known as prince. He was the prince. He was doing a terrible job. That's what I mean. They were just doing. Yeah. They 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 go okay. What's popular in society? We're gonna make a character mm-hmm. and see if that vibes. That's what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So let's just uh, let's just blast through this. Ric Flair versus Ken, Kurt Hennig ends in DQ <laughs> like faster <laughs> than we could think. I was they they built it up well and then fucked us over. Um, total package versus Buff Bagwell. Uh, guess what? They built it up well and then fucked us over. And then we get to the main yeah. event, Sid Vicious versus Tank Abbott. And, I mean, it was a shitty match, but they built it up well and didn't fuck us over. But Tank Abbott can't wrestle. Right. <laughs> so, uh, he attacked Vicious before... Uh, randomly in the middle of the show, Sid Vicious did an interview with Mean Gene. 
and he acted like he had yeah. post concussion syndrome. And they I were talking about what, it on commentary, oh and it was so random. I've said this before on this podcast, but I am so sad that this is part of Mean Gene's legacy. <laughs> well, this is what it I noticed makes me immediately. So sad. Oh, he gets he gets way better in 2000. I do remember Mean Gene just no, talking mean shit. It's not that he's bad. Oh yeah, he's, he's fine. He's, he's Mean great. Gene. He's he's Mean Gene. Yeah. I just feel bad for him. <laughs> uh, Tony too. Tony Schiavone is a treasure <laughs> man. That guy is doing everything he can to keep these shows on track and woof. It's impossible. Even even Shivani can't save it. So <laughs> uh yeah, they're talking they're they've been brought they've been bringing up CTE so much on the last like number of shows and I can't help but notice it's because Bret Hart's out and he has CTE they're making a they're they're making a story out of that because Sid Vicious has the concussion and he's like I'm gonna fight the main event anyways and they're they've done this multiple weeks in a row this is no longer an accident. This is absolutely on purpose. They're sending a message that says, "Oh, you have a little brain, brain, uh, brain damage. Why aren't you here?" Uh, they they've turned the Bret Hart real life storyline into a storyline on TV, and I'm actually disgusted by it. In hindsight, Captain Hindsight says, "Fuck you." <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> well, this was a my last long comment discussion. on this show. Wait, my last comment on this show is there is too much wrestling in jeans and jean shorts. A lot of people look the same. But like grunge, Ricky. Can't become grunge. Can't be comfy. <laughs> can't be comfortable. <laughs> All right. That was a long WCW. I'm so sorry for the tangents, but it oh, actually I, it helped I, I, me. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, that was this episode. <laughs> I'll see you in uh, two weeks. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>